back to the Nuts and Bolts RC podcast. Tonight's guest, Lieutenant Colonel Mark Nielsen, a.k.a. Bucket. What's hey up, guys? Man? How you doing? What's happening, man? Not a whole lot. Doing Just great. got off work about 45 minutes ago. So it's been a late evening. Yeah. Man, you're talking to us. <laughs> well, I hope T-38s have air conditioning. Uh, great. They're my tax dollars. <laughs> If you all that, all that overtime, <laughs> if you want to have that discussion or not, we sure can. It does not. <laughs> it does not have a real air conditioner. It's like an air condenser type thing. So you got to be up at altitude with some cold air to actually get a little cool in the cockpit. So when it's 110 degrees outside, that canopy is open on the ground as fast as possible. I bet. <laughs> Reminds me of when a. Uh... Uh, Josh told told us the story about getting stuck in the canopy on the F-16. The The canopy got locked, and uh, oh, yeah. he had a colonel pissed off at him because he was supposed to go to a debrief, and the guy waited on him, and he's like, where the hell is he at? And they're like, didn't you hear? He's stuck in the airplane for like two hours. Man. It happens. That's real. That's real. I, I got stuck in the told- tank cockpit for a bit, too, as well. But you got stuck in one? Yep. Where was that at? At Davis Monthan. That was like in a springtime, not so much full summer. But Thank canopy goodness. seals canopy seals wouldn't deflate. So the canopy actually mechanism would not unlock and let me out. That would be a serious <laughs> problem at uh, Davis Monthan in the wrong time of the year. It really could be. Absolutely. But the A-10 has an APU unit, which will give you some good AC on the ground unit. So not as bad as you think. Well, there's a there's some pictures floating around on the internet of a, a pilot being cut out of an F-22. They've been around for a long time, but uh, he does not look happy at all. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, the fire department's using a rescue saw to cut the canopy open. Oh, wow. Ooh, wow. Well, what Josh was telling us is I think they were very close to that point with him. They were about to cut the canopy open. <laughs> but Not a good too, bad we, too bad we don't have Greg on here to bash the F-16 for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's his favorite plane, man. Yeah. That and the B-1, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, y'all want to do uh, – Updates like we've done last couple of shows. What, yeah. What you guys working on this week? Uh, let's go with Mark. Wow. <laughs> well, over the last weekend since last, yeah, I got my FPV stuff. I put that in a Evolution F27, the new striker that is already discontinued. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the air unit and that thing with the DJI, the video is phenomenal. Like, awesome. that is awesome. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. What kind of range are you getting out of that? Like half mile or so? Uh, well, I was only doing 25 milliwatts initially. And that bit, that was like a couple hundred yards. But then went up to 200 mil, the, the, the 200. And then no issues as far as I ever flew it away from me. So nice. I haven't, test, haven't tested the limits of that one yet. Right. So I did that in the evolution. I also did that in my five inch racing drone. So I was able to fool around with that one as well with the same video quality. 
uh, in the drone as well. And then I have about half of a uh, wing built for my cub over the last couple of days. So that's been my RC stuff. Did you get some of the ribs glued in? Yes, all the ribs are glued in. Yes, all the ribs are glued in. All the spars are in. I'm working on the aileron next. Nice. Yeah, that's been the uh, sit in the AC project, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. because you guys, y'all melted pretty good out there last weekend flying at Arrowhead, huh? Dude, it was brutal. I was out there, we were out there Friday. Friday wasn't absolutely terrible. And then, yeah, the rest of the weekend, ugh. I was going to say Saturday, I remember y'all talking about it being so hot. And then Sunday, everybody went home. Oh, I gave up. It was so hot. Man, I (laughs) I got up at like 6.30 in the morning, walked for a little bit, just come back to the trailer, and and the sun had come up enough that it was was already blazing hot. And by 9 o'clock, I was like, screw this, I'm out. I, I, I mean, if I'm going to go hide in the air conditioner for the next eight hours waiting, you know, for the sun to move and us to be able to fly, I can do that at home on the couch. So, yeah, I, just, I went to the house. Well, when the lows are like 76, 77, mm-hmm. that tells you how bad it's going to be. Yeah. Nothing cools off. Yep. But Man. it was a rough. Bill lasted, Bill lasted till noon that day. That's just because he didn't want to pack his stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> so what what about you jason i know you had some stuff you were working on uh i got my gear from rc crafters i've been putting it in the f-18 actually i just did that last night um, i've only been home for two days really. so uh i don't know, i'm got to mess with that a little bit it's probably 70 percent in so far it, it looks really good i'm super happy with it but uh hopefully this weekend we'll get to take her out and Put a couple minutes on her. A couple minutes? I mean, like a couple of 20-minute flights? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what's your point? <laughs> <laughs> It'll be good to see it back in there, though. So, these are going to be electric now instead of air, right? Oh, no. They were electric in the first place. These are just scale struts. Okay. So that's my, right. My I old, forgot they my were old electric. Struts, yeah. Um, electron retracts. My old struts were scale also, but they were actually meant for a 90 millimeter F-18, actually, I believe from Hobby King. Um, and, and these are actually sized appropriately for the aircraft. Nice. Yep. Cool. That's about it. <laughs> well, I mean, that's pretty good for having been gone out of the country for what, two and a half, three weeks? Uh, 22 days. Yeah. Dang. So just over three weeks and got home and immediately back to work. So that's not bad. Yeah, pretty dang good. He, pro- he probably got fired up while he was gone. He couldn't work on anything. He's stuck in a hotel room with an awesome view. <laughs> and then there was like the ocean and scenery. <laughs> oh, I wasn't stuck in the hotel room. Thankfully I could leave on this trip, but yeah, it still sucks being out of the country and away from all your stuff and want to do something. Right. Yep. I can imagine. Clay, what about what, you, Casey? I was going to say, what have y'all been doing? Casey, go ahead. Well, I broke out. So I've got a uh, three-meter uh, Salto glider that I probably bought three years ago that I kind of started on and never finished. But uh got it out. Uh, ran an iron over all the covering, got it straightened out. Um, servos are mounted. 
Um, just need to kind of balance it and go through everything, make sure it's good. I'm going to go try to throw this off a mountain here in a week or two. And then uh, what else have I done? I'm, I'm working on a working on a helicopter project, which it's just a thought at this point, but it's going to be cool. That's about it. I haven't really done a whole lot. You saw a That's... video that proved you could do it, and now it's time to try it, huh? Well, Brenton actually came up with that. We were talking about it at work. He goes, I want to slope a helicopter. And I'm like, I want to watch you slope a helicopter. Let's make this happen. Uh -huh. I had just talked to him about that 600 Nitro and then uh, my 700 airframe. Because it's just the airframe, it would be perfect for that. You could build it light. Yeah. I think that's going to be cool. But Anyway. I'm kind of pumped on Mark getting into all this uh, FPV stuff, man. Dude, those That's DJI cool. goggles, that setup, it's it's nice. It's way, man, man, way better. I'm still way man. cool with my analog goggles, to be honest. But, the F man, I, I got to fly uh, James's at one of the events. And, dude, it's that's a game changer. Yeah, so when James had his, he showed me it. And I was like, man. The yeah. reason I got out of it initially was because of the snow and all the crap that happened. And I never got good video. As soon as those digital ones came out, I'm like, dude. You know, yeah, I remember Casey being a naysayer when I told him this, like, almost 18 months ago. No, I'm not a naysayer. <laughs> I, dude, I'm, I'm fine with the analog. Matt. No point I was a naysayer. What? Matt, you what? remember that. You know I, what I'm talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I told Casey, like, I was like, dude, these DJI goggles, I was like, that makes me want to fly FPV. And, Casey's like, oh, they're just too expensive. I could do the other they stuff. Are. These are well, fine. Well, here's, they are. They're I'm. I, I agree. I am fine with the equipment that I have. I don't feel the need to upgrade to DJI. Because, man, what I want to do is capture video with it, right? So my GoPro is capturing high def. You know, the advantages that the, that the HD has over my analog signal is, dude, you can see branches now. You can see those cables, you know, stuff that you can't see with the with the analog stuff but i flew so much analog that i'm okay with it so so on that f27 i kept trying to tell mark's like okay you can see the wires in that barbed wire fence now it's time to do it you know hit the gap man come on yeah so yeah hit the gap could, my thing is <laughs> i don't really care about the after video that much i mean i like the idea of it but i know me and i know that i'm not ever going to go back and actually watch that so well, yeah, I would see, rather I've learned, experience I've learned that about it. myself too. Yeah. And so with that being said, I would rather experience it at the, and take it in as an experience at the moment and be able to have high resolution right then. Right. Well, no, I'm, I'm in, but once I've already invested into all that, I can't see like reinvesting again for something that I don't use a ton. That's where I'm at. I get that. And that's, that's where I mean, you were calling me a naysayer. I'm sorry. Oh, you were a naysayer because you're like, ah, yeah, there's these other ones that work fine and they're a lot cheaper. Like, yeah, no. <laughs> it yeah. does work fine and it is a lot cheaper. Listen, you're talking icebox and I'm talking refrigerator. Just saying. Oh, <laughs> well, that makes total sense. Mr. Yeti cooler guy. I feel like well, the Jeopardy song should be playing in the background of this. <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez. anyway all right clay what have you been working on 
Oh, well, I found out how poorly hinged my third scale cub is. Um, it flew yeah, like I, that before. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I, I was trying to set the elevators up, and then I realized that just simply moving the servo, the uh, hinge line was moving. So then I gave it a little bit of a pull and basically pulled the entire elevator off. And then that turned into, man, this covering is crap. So now I think I'm going to strip it down and recover it. So this is a project that uh, don't seem to end. But I was uh, say, we were so close to having it in the air, just waiting on the axles. And now we're to recovering it, huh? Yeah, the covering is in really bad shape. Uh, <laughs> it's really brittle. This is oh, a big sometimes thing. Sometimes it happens that way. Um, yeah. yeah, on the wing, it's you can just tell it's really brittle. There's a couple of holes in it that I'd have to patch anyway. And like, have you ever recovered a model one? Yeah, it was not fun. Um, but I've talked to Mo and, uh, then I talked to Mike Sterling and Mike, uh, is talking about helping me out with it. So I think we're going to try to tackle it here before too long. Oh, got to call in the pros. Yes, absolutely. So you have to spend about two hundred dollars in covering. Uh, maybe more <laughs> than that. Um, talking with uh, Norm, uh, I think that he said that Oratex is like seventy-five dollars a roll. Ooh. I'll probably wow. need like at least two rolls, maybe more. So yeah, I guess Mark, I guess you're not that far off, but it may end up being more than that. Um, I also have been designing, and I sent a few pictures to Matt, but. I've been designing a little receiver mount for the Fataba 7003 that has a basically an integrated antenna holder so that uh, I can get those little car radio antenna tubes and have the antennas oriented at 90 degrees. Um, so I actually went through three different designs on that yesterday, printing those. And uh, I'm, so far, I'm really happy with it. And that is spawned from my other work, which was I'm actually switching. I'm moving the flight controller and the receiver on my helicopter. I'm trading places with them to try to reduce vibration on the fly barless unit. Okay. To, I'm attempting to fix my Oxy-5 with the, the problem that we were having the last time I flew it at Wichita Falls. I was going to say, did you ever pull the logs off of that and look at what the vibration looked like? You you did. I can't, I can't remember I if we looked at that or not. Yeah, we did, and okay. it was it was getting vibration, and that's, that's where right. you, that's you and right. Mark told me like, well, maybe it's hitting this frame side. That's right. Yeah. So that's why I'm relocating the flight controller to the bottom of the heli, yeah. where there's more room, and yeah. uh, underneath the tail boom. Yeah, and then right on there. the top, I'll put the receiver since the receiver is smaller. Uh, I'll place it on the like right. I said, just swapping spots. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, cool. That's how mine's set up with the the icon on the bottom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't hardly fit between the frame sides and that on the top section. And then, like I said, on that, if you have it on tape and it sh shifts at all, it's going to end up hitting on that side. And yeah, it's liable to cause you all kinds of problems if you got any kind of vibration that's making that rattle. Yeah. Well. Uh finally tackling that and uh i'm gonna set it up like marks but uh with that 7003 i wanted to 
I just had the antennas taped on the frame sides before. Right. I wanted to try to make it a little bit neater. So uh, I designed a little mount and I'm currently waiting on some uh, of those little plastic tubes to come in from Amazon okay. so I can um, complete it. I had a bunch of those and I used them up. So right. I just ordered some new ones and they should be here Friday. Nice. Well, cool. What about you, Matt? Oh man. Um, I went through and finished fixing that, uh, 70 CC Raven got the gear. Uh, well, the block that holds the gear, uh, all high salt back in and then pulled some covering off and fixed, uh, the sheeting on the side that had broken. Um, and, uh, remounted everything there still need to make some engine mounts for that one and clean that part of it up but other than that it's it's up and going again and a lot stronger than it was a week or so ago and then uh well before we get far off of it did you get the end meal that you ordered or are you still waiting on that i did i got them today um as a matter of fact and i was messing with that in the drill press on those aluminum uh, mounts and because of the way they're shaped because they're shaped like an hourglass mm -hmm. it makes it really hard to hold them in a vise and keep them straight so i'm gonna have to work I, through that a little bit i thought about this um after you and i talked last uh what i thought about doing actually was 3d printing some uh vice jaws yeah i that's exactly what i was fixing to say i i was looking at doing that because i was messing with it right before we started before we got on the call and, and uh, I've got the RPM set and the drill press and everything and the smaller bit, uh, it worked a lot better with the smaller bit. So uh, I've got it up and running and it's cutting smooth and, and I've about got that part ironed out. It's just, I need a good way to hold them nice and flat and sturdy. So I'll probably end up printing some blocks that can go into the, into the vise and hold them still. Um, that's the only solution I can come up with right now. So, uh, I think that'll work out as soon as I get them done. Uh, I just have to have time to, to lay them out and design them and, uh, print a couple of them, but, uh, shouldn't be too big of a deal, but yeah. So hopefully I'll get that done this next weekend, but, uh, then I fixed the, uh, elevator in my 60 inch NG that I busted at the Duncan event and uh, I just got to recover it and it'll be back in there and done some design work here recently. I, <clears throat> I designed up a little holder for like glue and epoxy and those kinds of things that mounted to the wall and somebody at the Duncan event, I think it was Jason Reddish. He asked about having ones that were magnetic to go to the side of the, of a toolbox so I changed up the design a little bit and added spots for magnets in the back of it. Um, I ran the test print today. Everything fit together good. So uh, I'm going to print a few of those. Uh, Why'd you put that on me, Ricky Bobby? Now you know what I got to do. What? <laughs> That's a perfect idea. I don't know why I never thought about that. What? Uh, a magnetic, like, because I keep my glue in my toolbox. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've got that glue caddy that I designed. Uh -huh. Well, now I have to go and design it to hold magnets and glue magnets into it so they can go on the side. Cause that's a perfect <laughs> solution. 
So you're, so you're on there stealing my idea. Correct. I, I got you. Okay. Yep. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, this is a great idea. Uh-huh. Like, why did not think of this? <laughs> yeah, I ordered some little uh, their 10 millimeter uh, button rare earth magnets, neodymium magnets. Yeah. Um, there's a few different sizes. With that, with that bigger one that you have, I would probably get the bigger magnets. They actually had some that were rectangle. Uh, um, that would probably work really good for that. I, I don't know. Yeah, that would be size for Clay because he's a square. <laughs> well, I've already got a bunch of round ones. Um, oh, okay. I don't remember how big they are, but uh, whenever I've made the jig for the uh, smoke pump standoffs to laser those, mm-hmm. um, I made a, there's, that's actually three layers and the bottom layer has uh, magnets in it so that it magnets to the laser bed. So it doesn't move around. Oh, okay. And I had bought some then. So if I can locate the other magnets, the ones I didn't use, then I've already got some. There you go that's the key is I have to find them. <laughs> well, I worked on that and then, uh, I did a little bit of other stuff in fusion, but uh, laying out a new or well, an updated, uh, charge case deck, uh, going to make it out of some different material, but, uh, more to come on that. I've got the stuff to, uh, test that out and see if that's going to work out very well here in the next uh, week or so. So skunk, skunk did, work stuff. Stay tuned. Yeah. Did you place an order for the materials? I did. Oh, I'm excited now. Yep. I got uh, five of them and I didn't get the vinyl stuff, but uh, I got some, I, uh, I got the rest of it. I just have to finish doing the layout and then uh, print off the mount pieces and stuff that we talked about. So sweet i'm excited now i got some work to do on it but (laughs) but yeah i've i've got the initial design done i have to do the second layer and then we'll go from there but anyway yeah more to come on that so hopefully that's going to work out good and uh, we'll have a new uh new charge case setup available uh here in the coming months so anyway but other than that you know what uh i think it was jason told me um once you have a 3d printer you just realize like how many things that you can make now. And I don't remember how Jason said it, but something along those lines and having 3d printer and fusion 360 and now a laser cutter, it's just like you dream up new things that you need all the time. Oh man. There are two other guys in our club that got them. Uh, got a couple of ender threes from micro center like we did. And, uh, he was like, well, I have fusion and I keep wanting to design something, but I keep finding all this other cool stuff to print. So <laughs> I haven't taken the time to design anything. I said, man, that you can print. There's anything and everything is out there. So. Yeah. It's, Even, uh, it's amazing. You talk, are you talking about Tony? Uh, Tony and Steve both. Yeah. So I, uh, I designed that uh, drain funnel for my generator mm-hmm. and I knew that Tony had that generator so I sent him a picture of it. I was like, Hey, check this out. He's like, well, once you get it figured out, send me the STL. Yep. He's like, I've got a printer. And, uh, he said he had an Ender three. I was like, Oh, yep. that's perfect. Yeah, so. he does. Yeah. I don't know if he's done any design work yet or not either. Uh, but I was talking to Steve last week and he's like, man, I just find all kinds of stuff on Thingiverse and all the places that he's been downloading stuff from just whatever, uh, different, different cool stuff. You know how it, Thingiverse puts the top 10 or whatever on the home page and you know they've always got something different on there so 
it'll keep you busy that's for sure that's why i kept trying to tell him before he bought it i said man it's a deep <clears throat> deep rabbit hole if you're not careful <laughs> it goes real quick so be careful i mean i said i wasn't going to have very many of them when i started it and i got five of them and a resin printer sitting in the shop so <laughs> anyway yeah, Jason, I deep end. <laughs> yep exactly you it just happens quick. do you have just the two printers jason yeah, I've got the Prusa i3 Mark III, and then I've got the, oh, which resin printer do I have? I can't remember off the top of my head. But, yeah, I've got a one of the larger resin printers also, at least for home use. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I need to maybe take this uh, mono price back to Casey before I modify it to print TPU. <laughs> Dude, you can modify the, it and then bring it back. That would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> the Prusa prints TPU just fine, straight from the factory. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, so does my Sidewinder. Both of them. Well, yeah, those are all direct drives. These are all Bowden 2 printers that I've got. So, uh, yeah. They, yeah. They take a little bit of modification. Yeah. Man, on that mono price, when I learned that if you slow down the first couple of layers with the uh, TPU, because it's usually a feed problem. With the Bowden extruders, it actually works pretty good. After you get it started, it'll work, but you gotta gotta get it started. Yeah, uh, someone clued me in on how to make this one work real efficiently with TPU. So, yeah. oh um, yeah, I just haven't. I've done. I've, it. <clears throat> I have printed TPU successfully with that machine the way it is. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if y'all knew this, but the. The main landing gear tires on the 737 are all TPU. I printed those years I ago. I didn't know oh, that. Oh, nice. That's way cool. Nice. Speaking of TPU, did you uh, work on any more carb cover designs yet, Matt? I have not. I have not. I just printed the one for the GP123, but I know y'all were talking about one for, what, a DLE 60? Uh, 130. Oh, 130. Okay. I just need some measurements off of it. Well, well, maybe Unless it was a 60. No, they're not the same. Maybe we were talking about the 60, but we were talking about carb issues with Greg's 130 as well. Okay. So I can't remember. Yeah, with that whole... Did you do a velocity stack? No, we just did a, a cover. Like the <clears throat> one side of the carburetor has that plate and it has a hole in one edge right. of it. And so on the, the 123s, uh, Joe Lewis has uh, got a cover that goes over it that just basically covers that hole and it diverts where the airflow comes from into that hole. So uh, it's just a little cover that goes over the outside of the carburetor, just snaps on and uh, keeps it from having so much positive pressure on that hole. It's causing problems with the carburetor pumping, if I remember right. Oh, awesome. No, the question was, can you make a velocity stack? Can I make a velocity stack? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I, I like the whole. I'm not going to for you now, but, but, that, yeah. but that wasn't, that wasn't the question. Uh-huh. Jeez, uh -huh. Jeez, Matt. <sighs> Some people's kids, man. <laughs> it's those David's yeah, parents. They're, they're, yeah. They're, they're deaf and they don't listen apparently. Other people's kids. Oh man! <laughs> hey, wait, aren't your parents' names David and Karen? 
Absolutely, they are. <laughs> that is not even that is not even made up. It's all factual. <laughs> yeah, <How> fitting. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, a David is a uh, male version of a Karen. Yikes. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah. moving ahead, is there uh, anything else you wanted to talk about before we get into Mark stuff with uh, Mr. Bucket over here? No, that's that's all I got for the moment. Yeah. Well, yeah. we thought we'd have oh, Lieutenant Colonel Mark Nielsen back on. Um, he was on briefly on our last episode a little bit, and he had to cut out early. But uh, just to get a little bit of backstory on him, it's a pretty interesting history and his uh, military career, how he got started in the hobby and uh, uh, type of information. So, Mark, how's it going, man? It's going. It's going. So how, how, how far back do you want to go? Back to the beginning of RC for me yeah. anyway? Yeah, we could start with that, <clears throat> your history in the hobby. Okay, sounds good. Well, we'll start when I'm five years old. No. <laughs> so <laughs> I choked on my tea, man. <laughs> All the way back. All the way back. So how how long has aviation been in my life? Well, my kindergarten year in school, I had my picture, like my school picture, taken in a marine flight suit. Oh nice. Okay. <laughs> So, so in the way way back, huh? Yeah, it's the way way back. Because uh, my dad, my dad has been a pilot ever since I was, ever since I was born. So I grew up flying civilian, flying in a Cessna one eighty two, uh, just tooling around North Dakota and taking some trips in that. Was he just a, a private pilot, or did he have some history as far as military history in that too? Nah, just a private pilot. On the it was a. a Flying Club 182 that he just joined okay. at one point. He, he only has about like 200 hours total. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so, yeah, nothing crazy there. I'm actually the only active duty person in my family that wasn't drafted for a pretty long time. Okay. So, <clears throat> my brother was in the Guard. He retired from the Guard two years ago now, I believe. So, some military, but not active duty. But... Anyway, I started in, and then I always had a, sorry, then my dad always had a, an old Thunder Tiger ARF hanging in our garage growing up too. And I was like, I really want to fly that thing. <laughs> and it just sat there and sat there and sat there and never got touched. <clears throat> so I got to be a sixth grader and I finally got enough money to uh, buy my own trainer. And my dad found a guy in town that could teach me how to fly. So I bought a Tower Hobbies 40 uh, during sixth grade and learned how to fly then nice. in my hometown. Okay. So my, uh, <laughs> I used that model airplane in my sixth grade science project. It was awesome. Learning how to <laughs> te teaching, teaching aerodynamics. <laughs> yeah. And it, was, it wasn't so much teaching aerodynamics as it was just playing around with the radio, making all the control surfaces move. Uh, during the thing because that was a lot more fun than actually teaching them aerodynamics <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> imagine 12 year olds you're like "Ooh, this radio is pretty cool but i don't care about right. how, why things fly yeah 
Yeah. Hey, Teach, could you step on the tail? Perfect. Hold that real steady. Don't let it go. Okay? We're going to fire this thing up. <laughs> there we go. Exactly. So uh, from there, flew RC all through high school. Only one in my, high, in my school that in my hometown, basically, as a kid that did it. Uh, so by the time I got to be a senior in high school, then I started actually getting my private pilot's license. Um, got my private pilot's license the day after Thanksgiving, my freshman year of college, actually. And then just flew within a Piper Warrior all through college then. Nice. Okay. Well, in your, in your hometown, did you have a small RC club or was it? So there was no, no full, no full up club. Uh, the parks and rec for the town mowed a little 300 by 300 foot patch actually on the actual airfield of our hometown. So like when full scale planes would come in, I'd have to land my plane, let them take off again. And then I'd go fly again. Okay. But the parks and rec, <laughs> yeah, the parks and rec took care of the, the mowing so i never had to do that and i was pretty much the only one that ever flew oh, okay like nice. every now and then there are some guys that popped up but very 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 rarely okay i was just curious so yeah so yeah no club for real uh first club i actually joined was in shreveport okay is that the so, sharks really? club <laughs> it is i actually flew there for the nine months i lived in shreveport yeah that is that's hilarious. That's the first club I ever joined also. <laughs> and you guys were there for the same reason. Pretty yeah, close. Oh, the club's yeah. awesome. Yeah. 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 It's pretty cool. So uh, from there, I never, I wasn't actually going to join the military. I was going to, I was getting a business major in college and I was like, I still kind of want to fly. So by the time my junior year of college came around, I was like, no, I really want to just fly and join the military. So I started the application process to join the Air Force. So come year and a half later, I was commissioned in the Air Force in 2007. Uh, I was actually picked up as a navigator because my recruiters uh, didn't think I had good enough eyesight to be a pilot. Nice. Oh. Having so. been at the field with you, I find that hard to believe, <laughs> honestly. Uh, but anyway. So I had 2070 vision at the time. And they're like, man, it's not good enough to be a pilot. Uh, but so I went through five recruiters and the fifth recruiter was looking at my package and he's like, why aren't you applying to be a pilot? And I was like, because you schmoes told me I couldn't. <laughs> uh, and then he was like, dude, no, we can get a waiver for that. You can go be a pilot. But so I did everything to be a pilot, but by the time the actual uh, officer board came around where they actually pick the people that actually go to officer training school, mm -hmm. uh, they didn't have enough time to get my pilot application complete. So they're like, oh. you can either go to this board as a navigator or you can wait a year and try again as a pilot. And I was like, yeah, I want to start now. I want to start flying. So I just went for it okay so <clears throat> that was in 2007 went through navigator school in 2007 to 2008 that was actually in randolph at the time which is in san antonio texas yeah and while i was there i actually looked for clubs and i didn't see the club that jason donhawk goes a part of 
if I would have known that was there, I probably would have been an RC club member down there. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I think they have a pretty good one down there. Yeah, evidently. But and, and, I don't reason, think it's, <laughs> and I don't think it's very far from Randolph either, for that matter. No, it's not. I'm like, man, I wish I would have known about this because I would have done some RC flying there. But since I didn't know about it, I actually just played a lot of golf while I was there instead. <laughs> So I took a hiatus from RC flying during nap training. <laughs> so from nap training, I went to, I uh, got picked up for the B-52. So I had to go to Shreveport, uh, Louisiana, Berkshire Air Force Base. That's where all the training is for B-52 crews. So that's why I was there for nine months in 2008 to 2000, summer 2009. Um, and then I actually got half the class gets gets to stay in Barksdale, half the class gets to go to Minot. And since I'm from North Dakota, I decided to try to get back up to Minot. So I got to go to Minot for three years operational in the B-52. Okay. So get to go back home. So I got to first go back person, home. The first person I've ever said I got to go to Minot like it was a good thing. <laughs> I've always heard of it referred to as the basically where you don't want to go. <laughs> right. <clears throat> I dated a girl once that had been an MP in the Air Force and she oh, was assigned to Minot. <laughs> and she was like, this is horrible. It's like Siberia, right? <laughs> yeah. An MP and Minot would be absolutely horrible. I'm not going to dispute that in the least. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been told that Minot is colder than Fairbanks at times. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I believe that. That that Absolutely. blows my mind, but yeah, that's what I've heard. I, I went. Yeah, I believe I might not go there. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Air Force has a they call a work rest chart for everything for for climate wise, and for heat, which is the one we had at Barksdale. You know, you, once it gets so hot, you you can work for thirty minutes, and then you're allowed to take a you know twenty minute ten minute break, whatever. Minot had one for cold. And I was up there one December reading that chart and the chart went down to negative 60 degrees. And I'm reading this thing going, holy crap, that's cold. And the airman walked behind me and saw what I was reading over my shoulder. He looks and he goes, oh, yeah, we've been off that chart before. <laughs> no. What? <laughs> yeah. and been off the chart, plus they don't follow the chart to begin with. It's like, oh, you're supposed to get that cold. It's probably worked for five minutes, rest for 50. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But it's just like being hot down here. Like it's supposed to be like rest for 50, work for five in the heat too. But everyone's getting airplanes ready to go. So we're still right. working as much as they need to to get it done. So I'll really laugh at those charts because no one follows <laughs> them for the most part, unless you don't do any operations at all. Yep. That might be for like the, <laughs> shouldn't say this, but more like the finance or the people that do the customer support like if they were to be working outside that would probably be their work rest cycles so does the air force uh farm out their customer support to india like everyone else uh not for finance um, no but it might be better if they did uh, i won't argue that is one. your f-16 plugged in <laughs> yeah. try turning it off and back on yeah. If it doesn't work, go get another one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's why they provide you four of them at a time, right? That's a beat one. 
Oh, I love oh, it whenever right. I love it when you call like customer support and then there's obviously someone from India. My name is Gregory. Yeah. Oh, dude, really? Yep. Bro, yep. your name is not Greg, but I'm gonna go with it because I couldn't say the real uh, one. Yeah, Atmanad, no, it's I, Gregory. I had one today that he answered the phone. He's like, This is Bill Henry. I was like, Really? <laughs> He had a really heavy accent. Tell me you're a scammer yeah. without telling me you're a scammer. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My name is Bob. Yep. Nice. Uh, anyway. <laughs> All right. So, so you're stuck in the frozen tundra for three years. I am. I, I'm actually going to backtrack back to the sharks again, because that's where I saw my first 3D hobby shop plane. Nice. One, one of the families bought like a, it was either a 48 or a 52 inch slick. And they were so proud of that thing that they're like, I don't want to fly this thing because it's so fragile. Yeah. <laughs> that was in the early days of uh, 3D hobby shops too. If you're talking about what was a 2007 to nine timeframe. It was 2000, December 2008. Yeah. So that would have been, yeah. I think that would have been early 3D hobby shops timeframe. Yeah, if I'm not so mixing I'd... my years up, uh, Matt and me talked to to Ben about that the other day. So. Yep, yep, I think yeah, you're was... right. When I first looked inside that thing, I was like, "Man, there is nothing to that thing." I, I don't blame you for thinking you're going to break it, <laughs> but so yeah, it was a very very big difference from what we had seen in the hobby before that. Did anybody so. ever fly it? I actually PCS before I had to watch them fly it. They, <laughs> they had it. They had it out ready to go multiple times, but they never brought up the courage to actually put it in the air. Um, <laughs> so, in that time frame, uh, were they flying two point four yet, or is that still seventy two? Yeah, just. I think I had just bought a Futaba six EX two point four gig. So okay, it was like within the first couple of years of it. Yep. Yeah, so. that's, that's you want to talk about a radio that's terrible to program. <laughs> a Fataba 6EX is right up on the list. Yep, that thing was not super easy, that's for sure. So I actually had that radio for probably six years before I upgraded, at least. So uh yeah, in Minot, there is a actually a club in Minot, they had a really nice field about 20 minutes north of town two probably like 2000 foot grass strips and a couple hundred feet wow. wide as well it's like wow. it's yeah. massive that's huge <laughs> they had a couple of buildings with ac and they could like you, if you're a club member you leave you could leave your planes in the storage hangar and then not have to carry them back and forth the half hour each way that would be so, nice yeah that would be cool yeah oh, especially nowadays with the you can charge packs in 30 minutes right but back back then it was, but you still need to charge your batteries. Right. So <laughs> people would show up, start charging their batteries and BS for about three hours before they'd actually fly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, did people still have trouble hitting the runway, even with that size runway? <laughs> I know. Okay. Nope. I don't remember anyone having issues missing the runway in that one. <laughs> Yeah, usually <laughs> it doesn't matter how big right. the runway is, they still manage to miss it. Yeah. So, 
in my notes where I saw my first turboprop, there was a guy that built a huge steerman and a super steerman put a turboprop on it and made a model of himself to put in the cockpit. Like it was beautiful scale the whole way besides the turboprop portion of it because super steermans aren't turboprops, but man, that thing was cool. No, but they'd be cool as a turboprop. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Oh, it would be. Absolutely. That actually makes me think. I wonder if anyone's ever done that conversion because you you see (laughs) that a lot with like uh, old ag cats, for instance. Um, I don't know that they were ever manufactured as turboprops, but there's a lot of people that will convert them, so to speak, you know, will build them as turboprops. Um, So that would be interesting if someone had ever done that as an experimental Somebody needs to call yeah. Rod Elliott, give him that idea, send him, <laughs> just let him loose. We'll have it done in a couple of weeks. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> well, I know. So the guys that have you guys seen the Waco biplane with the turbine underneath the fuselage? Yes. Yeah, uh, I know what you're talking about. Was that uh, so, Larry Franklin or Kyle Franklin? Uh, I don't know if they ever flew it. It's now with uh, some guys that are actually in my hometown flying it, but the company called rad aerosports so they fly that waco they fly the yak 110 and they fly a super steerman with red baron one of the old uh super steermans that did the formation flying yeah Yeah. um i'm i know that the waco with the turbine that the franklins owned they flew it um because uh kyle franklin's wife that's how she got killed. Uh, he actually crashed that airplane and uh, she was a wing walker and he couldn't get her, her uh, cable loose and she burned up on the plane. Ooh. God. That's... Um, yeah. That's a pretty tragic story with that guy's family. No um, so Kyle Franklin is the guy that does the, uh, the drunk uh, pilot skit with the cub. Okay. Yeah. I've seen that one. Um, they did uh, some air shows. And I may be mixing my facts up a little bit, but his wife, her dad was Yonk, one of the Yonkins, uh, I believe. Um, and anyway, her dad and his dad mid-aired and killed each other in the air show. Oh, dang. And then he crashed that Steerman or that Waco, I mean, and she got killed in that wreck. So, and he still flies air shows, believe it or not, after all that. That's oh, crazy. But yeah, that, that well, yeah, that, woke up and said, How much worse can it get? Let's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, that Waco had a, a turbine underneath it between the landing gear. And uh, anyway, yeah, there may be another one that you're thinking of too, uh, Mark. Well, there's so lots there. of them. Okay. I didn't know there was more than one. I saw one at air show in Dayton. So the ones that these guys picked up. It wasn't theirs to begin with. So, like, they, they bought it from someone or they uh, are leasing it to use it in the airshow circuit. So, I, there are multiples around. I'm just looking online right now. And yeah. there's quite a few that have used a jet-powered Waco. Yeah, that's what I was so. just looking at was this Jack Links one. It uh, looks like the most popular that's showing up right now. Yep. That red and black one, but uh, Jack Link like the beef jerky. It is. Yes. Apparently it's sponsored by. <laughs> hey, 
guys. Screaming Sasquatch. Yep. I knew the plane was called something like that. Yep. <laughs> as soon as you said Jack Links, it got me thinking. Like, oh, <laughs> yep. So, and then I guess, so in my not also, there's a couple, there's a club member that had a buddy that like videotaped his flights from the ground with a old school camcorder thing. And then he put a GoPro on the wing of his plane, like flew full aerobatic sequences. And then afterwards he would put the videos together on two separate screens and put them on YouTube. Oh, cool. So I thought that, so I thought that was pretty cool. Like watching it from the ground plus seeing what you're seeing from the air as well. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Three years of Minot flying the B-52, uh, 700 hours during that time. Um, I probably have more time than that during ground operations with trying to get jets fixed to go fly, but, (laughs) uh, but 700 hours in three years is a, a good amount of flying. I yeah. didn't get any combat time because that was the time where uh, B-52s were either at Guam or they were at home base getting ready for nuclear exercises and such. Uh, the nuclear This is like the start of Global Strike Command and the nuclear enterprise because of all the mishaps and screw-ups that we had done with nuclear components in the last couple of years before that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. If you guys if you guys remember the the warheads flying from Minot to Barksdale that uh, no one knew yeah. about for a bit. I know yeah, Jason <laughs> knows about it. That was a pretty big na- pretty big national news when that one happened. <clears throat> well explain that. What happened now? They just transported them. <laughs> so yeah. they were decommissioning they were decommissioning missiles. Uh that the warheads were in and the warheads were not supposed to be in the missiles when they were transporting into Barksdale. So there was a lots of links in the chain that could have been broken, but never were uh, to have these missiles shipped down to Barksdale, but they never checked to see if the warheads were not in them anymore. So, and the transporting. Yeah. The reason it's a big deal is the reason it's a big deal is because transporting a nuclear weapon by air is considered an act of war just in and of itself. See, I did not know that. Yeah. I never heard this story. So yeah, neither. So you were kind of involved with that, Mark? Is that what you're saying? So I was. <laughs> yeah. No. no, I mean, <laughs> yeah, no. I listen to Clay, to Clay's baiting him in, dude. Man. <laughs> no, no. So you were involved with that, you said, Mark? <laughs> I'll be honest. I kind of spaced out when Mark was telling that part. And then I heard Nuke transport. And I was like, hey, wait a minute. I should be paying attention. Uh, I was over here looking at the turbine Waco. That was, that was the best thing ever. Reindeer, reindeer. <laughs> Prank call, prank call. I don't know who you are. No, I was not not involved in the incident that happened before. I was actually at officer training school when it happened. So I wasn't even affiliated with the B-52 at that point. Uh, So you say. (laughs) Deny, deny, deny. That's what they taught him in officer training school. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what they taught you in SEER training? Run away? That, that's, yeah, that, yeah. I was like, that, 
that's the seer training. Just go to your circle. Go to your circle. Go to your circle. <laughs> go to your go to your safe spot. <laughs> yes, that's like. Where does your circle talk about food? Talk about shelter. Talk about missing family. Whatever it is, like, just go to your circle. <laughs> talk. Yeah, talk about not flying a massive amounts of nukes with warheads. I'm hungry. Literally anything other than that. <laughs> so what was it? Was it Slim Pickens that rode the nuke out of the? Was that was out of B forty seven though, wasn't it? That was no, a B fifty two. That was yeah, it. You're, that Doctor Strange left. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. How I learned to love the nuclear bomb. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we're gonna be on a watch list after this. <laughs> <laughs> They'll either be entertained or extremely bored and figure out that we're they said, not yeah, terrorists. They, they said they said bomb at least 37 times and nuclear at least 50. <laughs> and now we've added terrorists to the list. So yeah, we just got red flagged. <laughs> hey, it's all fun and games till you have a Middle Eastern wife, motherfucker. That's all I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> and there's the explicit part that I get to add again. Let's see, we made it about uh, yeah, hours sorry. this time though. Hey, sorry. You, you know what, Casey? Not my problem. What? Not my problem. Not my problem. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. You're fucked up. Yes, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Checking off boxes left and right tonight. So close to getting Ooh. through that explicit part. Oh well. Oh man. What are you? I'm sorry. One time, just <laughs> it, and then you don't have to make it explicit. Oh, so no. sorry. Uh, I was in the moment. Uh, anyway, all right. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> you were talking about <laughs> transporting nuclear weapons illegally or something. Not. Not anymore. Don't with yeah. that. <laughs> okay. I just had to deal with the aftermath of that and all the pain and uh, time it took to deal with nuclear exercises, inspections, and testing. Like it was nonstop. I was going to say, did it change a lot? There. Change a lot after yeah. all that? Like oh, yeah. We up were, all of it? Yeah. It was, it was crazy. Yeah. So deploying to Guam was actually a uh, vacation for sure. A bit. <laughs> Looks like a beautiful city. It's an, uh, no Guam. No Guam. Uh, uh, it's, it's okay. It's an island. <laughs> <Next> <laughs> island. It's okay. <laughs> okay, that's what I meant, dude. It's freaking. <laughs> got oceans everywhere, all it around you. Apparently, it's an island. You know what? It's no Lake Draper, but you know. <laughs> I mean, it's Guam okay. So Guam is an eight mile by 30 mile island. So it's not super huge, but there's 14 golf courses on it. <laughs> Imagine that. So not too bad. And it's got some of the best scuba diving in the world because there's all sorts of World War II wrecks all around there. Yeah. If you like rain. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds awful. If you like, there's a lot of rain. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> Jason can attest it's like 85 degrees and 90% humidity every day, all yep. summer and year round. It's yep. pretty heinous. Oh, yeah. That yep. suck. <laughs> <laughs> so the funnest thing we got to do, uh, probably the funnest thing in the B-52 that I got to do was be part of what's called a sink X. So sink exercise where we're sinking a decommissioned Navy ship. They would have this uh, schedule of events of, okay, the F-18s get to go in and drop their 500-pound bombs on it and do nothing to it. 
the uh, F-16s get to do the same thing. They would have other like surface warships like use their guns and stuff on it. Uh, and then they had the B-52s come. We were dropping uh, four 2,000-pound laser-guided bombs on it. And then there's probably like three more uh, different things that were supposed to hit on this ship before it actually sunk uh, to end up with like a torpedo was supposed to sink it completely like two days later. But when we did it, uh, we hit a laser guided bomb right at the waterline and sunk it <laughs> two days early. <laughs> ruined all the fun for everybody, Mark. Ruined, <laughs> ruined the fun for the rest of the guys. Yeah, our two ship got to do that. I actually, so one of the bombs that I dropped like completely destroyed the, the island portion of the ship so it was a it was an amphibious carrier is what it was okay so yeah we hit the just completely destroyed the island on it with a couple bombs we put a nice beautiful hole in the top of the the actual flight deck and then the last bomb sunk it so So. you didn't put one down the tailpipe of the engine (laughs) no tailpipe of the engine but that that one was the they have like big smokestacks on a lot of those right and uh, I figured a laser got a bomb. You guys could probably put it right down the exhaust of it, huh? He put a banana in my tailpipe. <laughs> Absolutely could. <laughs> uh, come on, Beverly Hills Cop. Pretty good. No. Put a banana in my tailpipe. I got that one. So with the with that, Mark did uh, the. B-52 laser designated its own targets or how was that? How did that work? So at the time the B-52 was using, uh, uh, what was it? Not a sniper pod. A lantern. Yep. No, it wasn't a lantern either. What was it called? Ah. Different, different company. <laughs> okay. I didn't realize and, the B-52 ever used the lantern. I thought the lantern was no. like F-14s and F-15s primarily. Wow. Man. Uh, what the heck? Blanking. But anyway, it was a, it was just a second generation laser guided uh, targeting pod uh, that could we do our own lasing. We could laser other people's bombs. Like it was just a all purpose designator. Uh, we could has a really good camera on it with uh, IR or sorry for red or just a normal like TV camera, black and white type screen that has some pretty good zooming capabilities. Um, so had that normally on the right wing between the engine pods. I was going to ask you, yeah, it mounts in the same place. I was thinking, yeah. Yeah. All I heard there was analog video was okay till DJI came out. That's all I heard. <laughs> he said, he said it was like black and white. Oh, well, it's good enough to shoot bombs down, but no, I can't be bothered with FPV till I have HD equipment mark over here. Well, he had analogs before. It just wasn't up to par. What was it a Anyways. lightning? Was it a lightning pod? Thank you. Yes, that's okay. the one. Yeah, yeah lightning. Yeah. Thanks, right. Captain Google. Hey, yes, that's what I, I'm here for you, man. Amazing. <laughs> so, so I got to do is ask Google. Yep. So, <laughs> as the navigator, did you actually operate the designator, laser designator, or how did that work? So in the B-52, you got the pilots upstairs. You have the electronic warfare officer, which is our the defensive guy upstairs facing backwards. 
And then you have the two navigators downstairs. So the navigator in the right seat, which is usually the newer guy, he actually runs, has everyone run all the checklists together for everything, either takeoff, landing, in-flight checks, uh, the weapons checklist, the navigator is in charge of actually getting those run and coordinating everything and making sure the plane gets to where it needs to be on time. And then the radar navigator, which is in the left seat downstairs, he is in charge of running the radar and he is in charge of all the weapons. And then he was also in charge of the targeting pod. So it was actually the navigators that were doing all of the weapons releases so, for the B-52. So they don't actually have a bombardier. The navigator is the bombardier. Correct. Yeah, they never. So we, there's no bombardier. The Air Force doesn't have any bombardier wings anymore. They got rid of those. But like on Fridays, we would actually, our Friday name tags have bombardier wings on them. Ah, cool. I I didn't know that. I I knew that there was a multi-crew on the B-52 and this and that, but I didn't realize that the navigator did that role. Yep. So B-52 pilots, they make their money, takeoffs, landings, weather, uh, air refueling, which in the B-52 is a long ordeal, which can take over 20 minutes on the boom <laughs> to get the gas that they need. Uh, and then emergencies. But the navigators were like the weapons and stuff was all the navigators. So do those planes primarily fly on autopilot or is it a pretty pilot intensive workload? So the B-52... There is an autopilot, like there's an altitude hold, and then it's got a, a little knob where uh, between the two pilots where they can just turn it left or right, it'll bank to 30 degrees of bank and then fly it around a turn. So it's like an altitude hold, but then you can turn it as well. Uh, I don't know if they've had any upgrades since then, but those are the two main things for the autopilot that the two had. Well, the reason I ask is uh, I've heard Kerry talk about the uh, H model C-130s that he worked on. Uh, I say it was H. It may have been the E's. E's or H's. I, I don't recall. Uh, and he was telling me that the autopilot nose was garbage. And uh, he was talking about a story flying across, uh, I think it was Iceland. And uh, he woke up and the pilot was in the cargo area, like playing cards or something like that. And he's like, who's flying? And the pilot's like, the autopilot. And he's like, that's scary because the autopilot sucks <laughs> in these things. <laughs> Um, and I just, I didn't know if the B-52 was kind of the same way since what I think Jason has told us the newest one was made like 65 or something like that. 61. Okay. 61. Yeah. Yeah. So the newest one is, uh, 60 years old. So that's correct. (laughs) But the autopilots, I I never had any issues with autopilot in the B-52 when they were there flying that way. Didn't seem to be too bad. Um, air refueling they had to do it by hand which most of the time after air refueling the pilots are like drenched with sweat because they're working so hard really yeah sounds pretty intense 20 minutes worth of that 20 yes and like they're doing full stick movements because the b-52 doesn't have ailerons it has spoilers right so that changes completely the dynamics of how a plane actually turns and imagine a big plane behind another big plane Lots and the bow mm. yeah the bow wave from the tanker versus the spoilers <laughs> actually makes the plane bank opposite direction of what it should oh wow oh that'd be fun 
<laughs> yeah, sounds like a workout. I'm glad it's you, buddy. <laughs> Thank you for all that you do. Yeah. <laughs> I was Man. never a pilot in the B-52, I'll tell you that. That was not me. Well, uh, Drag has some pretty great stories of fly- about flying the B-52. That was a uh, that was actually fun to, to talk to him at some, mm-hmm. he's one of those guys I would like to talk to again. So <laughs> he's an interesting cat. That's for sure. Yeah. I'm telling you, you guys, well, obviously you weren't there, but whoever gave him his call sign totally missed out on calling him Einhorn. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> right. Yeah. They missed out on a prime opportunity. True story. So <laughs> you guys any more? Any more questions about the B-52? Otherwise, I'll move on. I want to know how you got your call sign. Oh, Oh. actually, Mark had a different call sign in B-52s. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So, two call signs. So, my call sign in the B-52 was turret. And that had something to do with Guam, a Humvee, (laughs) a wild, and and a wild boar. Uh-huh. I've not even heard this story. This, uh-huh. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna need I'm gonna need a little bit more than that. On that one. Sounds like the only thing missing was an avocado and a nine iron. Hey, so <laughs> that's pretty good. So I do remember though that Mark said you gotta have some beer involved in order to hear call sign stories. So can we door dash a beer over to Mark's house? How does that work? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was actually listening to the fighter pilot podcast and evidently he asked every single person at the end of it, it's like, Hey, how'd you get your call sign? You want to show share? And most of the yeah. guys are actually wanting to share their stories. Yep. I, I figured maybe that's a Navy thing and that, that you got might be. Yeah. <laughs> So I'll, I'll leave it at that for now, just to leave the imaginations <laughs> run wild. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, Drag told us his, uh, actually, uh, Josh or Narco, he told us his story too. His was okay. And then uh, I can't even remember what, it was Finkelstein. What is, that's his name, Drag? I don't even remember what it, Ryan. Yeah. Ryan had told us his story and, and I, I got a kick out of it, but, uh, that's the only ones I've heard in person. So, well, other than but Mark's, beers were, but beers were involved in those, right? If I recall every time. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I know <laughs> exactly. with, uh, with Ryan for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause that's also Guilty the time we charged. said, well, uh, <laughs> I said something about, uh, whenever you realize that, uh, Germany lost, uh, the last two world wars and we're on their side this time. And Mark tried to talk me into going and telling that to the German pilots. <laughs> wow. He's like the German pilots would find that hilarious. You yeah, should go tell would, them that. They would get a kick out of that. Yeah. <laughs> if you would have had the right chemical balance, Mark, you could have got him to do it. I watched him do it with some Canadians. <laughs> nice. <Yeah. laughs> I was I was pretty deep in the mix at that point though. Yes. <laughs> He is out loud going, do you hear these Canadians who are standing right next to him? Yes, yes, I hear it very well, Clay. So did they. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I was uh I was on good behavior at, at uh Mark's house on that one. So 
I wasn't up to uh, insulting the Germans in front of their. <laughs> we we tried to talk him into it though. Come on, he hesitated. It would been fun. It would have been fun. I feel I feel like I could have got him there. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah. Listen. It, 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 so if there's the opposite <laughs> of shit show. That's what Mark's party was like. It was very formal right. feeling for me. I was like, oh, I should probably yeah. not say a lot of things that I'm thinking. <laughs> it's going to yeah. sit here and drink this beer. Yep. And then I was a lot of moving around between different groups of people. It was interesting. Yeah. You had a lot of people. <laughs> I was going to say, there's a lot of people about you. That's quite a few. But that's, that was a good time. I enjoyed it. Anyway, uh, so I left uh, Minot as a captain i uh, got picked up as a pilot to go through the nj program which is here in uh wichita falls um but to what does get that stand there, for euro nato joint jet pilot training so uh, that is the it's right it was at the time it was 13 countries in nato that did work together to get the pilots to the program here so but to get here, I need a better eyesight, right? So in my not, I actually had PRK eye surgery. Okay. Oh, yeah. So the Air Force paid for that one to, for me to get that one. And uh, I left there with 2015 vision. It was awesome. <laughs> so one of the best decisions of my life to get PRK, for sure. Yeah, that's cool. So anyway, so that's how I got my the eyesight to be a pilot. I uh, went through pilot training here. Uh, I was a member of the club. I met Tony there at the time uh, and a couple what, of the older club members as what well. What year was that? 2012, 2013. I was here. Okay. I don't remember me and you. No, I was going to say, I think I was out at that point. We were doing <laughs> cars probably. Yeah, and I had just moved to Oklahoma, so I was shooting guns, not flying RC. Yeah, so Tony was around. I might have met Curtis at one point there, uh, but no one else that's currently around that I remember. Okay. So I was I flew I flew here quite a bit during pilot training, so that was pretty fun. Um, got picked up. Any questions about pilot training? Haha, <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> thir- thir- Thirteen months of training here. Yeah. Um, I mean, would you rather be there training or as an instructor? It's much more enjoyable as an instructor. Okay. So your pilot training year is like, it's one of your most uh, rememberable years of your career, more than likely. Uh, You make bonds that you'll have forever because you're working together 12 hours a day plus um, every day for 13 months straight. And then you're learning something very rewarding where you're going from not really knowing how to fly planes like at all, or as just as a civilian, and you're going all the way to flying supersonic and flying tactical formations uh, in a fighter type aircraft. So there's it's a lot of fun. So, but a lot of hard work. How did uh? So you started out in T sixes, I assume. Yep. And then. Uh... How long do you spend in T6s? So you fly the T6 for about six-ish months. Then you get about, it's roughly 
about 80 flights, 80 to 90 flights at the time in the T6. So you learn how to do aerobatics, you learn how to do spins, spin recoveries, you learn how to, how to land the plane in all the different configurations, you learn how to land it without an engine. Um, then you go into instruments and you learn how to fly all the type of instrument maneuvers you can do and instrument procedures that you can do throughout the country and the world. And then you go into formation flying and the low level flying. So all those different phases you go through. Okay. And then you only spent three months or is it another six in the T-38? It's another six months in the T-38. Gotcha. Going, okay. going through a lot of the same stuff as the T-6, but in a jet that goes a lot faster. And does uh, everyone that flies in the Air Force go through that route? Or if you're going to fly heavies, do you go from like T-6 to the Sabre liner or it, what's, I don't even remember the other trainer and aircraft that they have. So when I was going through pilot training, uh, Shepard is a fighter centric uh, pilot training base. All the rest of the pilot training bases, they have T6s and everyone learns how to fly the T6. And then you track select, which is either going to helicopters, the T1 Jayhawk, which is where we were, we were teaching our guys to go fly heavies. And then the T-38, which is what our fighter and bomber guys went to, what they trained in. Okay, so the T-1 may be the plane I'm thinking of. Yeah, for Uh, the heavies. And is that what they still use today? So they're currently still using them. They're working on phasing them out right now and doing a more, uh, what those uh, civilians do or the airlines do, and actually go to a more sim-centric syllabus and really not much flying at all. Oh, wow. That doesn't sound good. That sounds cheap, but ultimately not as good. If you had to hear a T1 in a traffic pattern every day, you'd be happy. Okay. (laughs) It's one of those, like, turbo jets that's extremely loud. Stupid Uh, high pitch whine. That's a high, high whine whistle noise from a T1. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. And, uh, man, I had something else on my mind, but. Uh, I guess we can move on. I'll come back to it in a minute when I re- remember it. Gotcha. So NJEPT, they have T6s here and they have T38s here. So there's no track select. You go straight to T38. And then uh, there wasn't a lot of fighters to be dropped previous to my particular class. So a lot of guys are flying T38s and then still going to heavies anyway because oh. they just didn't have any fighter cockpits to go to at the time. Um, but when I went through pilot training and ever since I went through pilot training, it's been a very different story that if you're pretty much qualified to fly a fighter airplane, you're going to fly a fighter. I was going to say, isn't Uh, it kind of the opposite now that people want to go to the cargo planes now? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that there's a lot of guys that still want to fly fighters. That's for sure. Um, but there's a lot more fighter cockpits that we need to fill because everyone is in a pilot shortage us all the airlines pretty much anywhere you go where everyone's looking for pilots to to fly for them well the reason i bring it up is uh take like the uh, the army flight school for instance uh, and, and i found this extremely interesting coming out of army flight school uh the only fixed wing aircraft that the army operates is the uh, most sought after um 
then I believe that's the C12, which is basically a King Air. Yep. And then the next most desirable is the Chinook. And then ironically, the least desirable is the Apache. So, and to me, I just always kind of thought it would be the other way around. And I think the army is just like the air force and the Navy in that your position in the class dictates where you get to select. Um, so if you're the first in the class, you get first pick of what's available and so on. Um, but yeah, basically the, the Apaches falls on the worst of the flight class because no, no one wants to fly the Apache initially. So I didn't know oh, if maybe the air force was the same way. Well, I don't think, I don't think that's necessarily the case. Uh, but there's still hierarchy of fighters when we drop them <laughs> for what people desire. That's for sure. So with, uh, with the army too, and I, I really only know this just based off of information that I've gathered. Um, there's two aircraft that you cannot select out of flight school, if I'm not mistaken. And that is the, uh, six that the, uh, hunt 160th uh, soar flies or the little bird um you can't select that right out of flight school you actually have to get transferred into the 160th soar after you've flown and got time in uh, another aircraft yep, uh and then that. the uh lakota which is the uh it's uh 72 <laughs> uh, and that's just a national guard helicopter like they don't deploy those yes. overseas so you actually nope. can't select that aircraft right out of flight school either, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Unless you're in that guard unit. Okay, maybe so. And yeah. with the Air Force, I guess the only one off the table for sure is the U-2, correct? So out of pilot training, the U-2 is not available. The, you can't go fly the E-4 as well, which is our doomsday plane, which is the Secretary of Defense's plane. It's a 747 variant. Okay. Um but there's, there's quite a few autopilot training that you actually don't hear about very often that you can't drop right away. I would assume Based F-22 on, is on that list. No. We actually drop F-22s pretty much every single class we drop right now. Wow. I, I figured that was a, one of those that guys like maybe flying the F-16 would try to – or the F-15 would try to transfer over into the 22s. And so they were pretty much taken up, I would think. So the F-22s nowadays, like they, right when that 22 came out, they were taking a lot of the F-15 pilots initially to make their initial cadre and instructors to build the F-22 community. Whatever, after that was complete, then they started taking brand new guys out of pilot training. Wow. I, I'm actually so, surprised. Yep. So out of my pilot training class, we actually had one guy that dropped the F-22 directly out of pilot training and one guy that dropped the AT-38, which is just a T-38A model that we just use as kind of a red air adversary squadron at our F-22 bases. So he dropped that and then he transitioned over to the F-22 about three years after. Huh. Interesting. Okay. So, and so we're dropping F-22s, F-35s on a regular basis right now. I could see the F-35, I guess, because there's so many more of those than the F-22s. There will be. Uh, is there not already? Not yet. 
Okay. I thought there was already more F-35s in the mix than F-22s. Maybe all the services wide, but I don't know if the Air Force has more than the F-35s and F-22 yet. I could be wrong on that. They're, they're constantly making more, but uh, yeah. right now there's the squadron in Hill. There's a squadron in Isleson Air Force Base at Fairbanks. And then we have uh, the FTU or the training squadrons and the test squadrons. Yeah, the training, one of the training bases for the F-22 is uh, down in Florida. What is that one? Uh, it, used to be it used to be Tyndall and that got yeah, hit by Tyndall. the hurricane and then yeah. they moved it to Eglin. So the okay. F-22s are currently at Eglin. That's what I was, yeah, Tyndall is the one I was thinking of. But Eglin is the one where they had a crash the other day uh, or gear up landing basically yeah so yep okay so but you don't cool. see any kind of like just typical like people gravitate to, towards one or gravitate towards a section is it kind of always up in the air what do we mean what specifically what kind of like do like, people like when they go to flight school are they going out of there like i'm gonna fly the f-16 and that's it or, you know, like when you see a group, is it kind of a mix or is it like F-16s go first, A-10s go first or anything like that? So when I talked to some classes, like when I originally got here to Shepherd as an instructor, I would I was in the flight rooms and talking to all the new students all the time. And those classes that I got to know really well about, I don't know, a third to half of them put A-10 as a number one choice. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> Yeah. Nice. <laughs> when I convince um, them that the air to, air to ground missions where it's at. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, though, like other than the F twenty two and the C model F fifteens, everything has an air to ground mission, right? That is correct. Yep. Oh, even yeah. the F twenty two has a, a limited air to ground mission that we used in Iraq and Syria. Okay, I didn't know that. Um, yeah. But the the C model F fifteen really doesn't but the enf it's that's enf that's its main bread and butters air to ground if i'm not mistaken yeah the e the e model yes okay yeah i mix yep. up enf with the the hornet <coughs> super hornet yep but, yeah you know. there's there's no f there's no f model 15 yeah <clears throat> as far as i know anyway so mark when you graduated from flight training what did you want to fly so i got number the a10 was then my number one choice out of power training. Okay. So and why is I that? Was, uh flying the B-52 as a navigator, I knew the importance of the cast mission and the air to ground mission. And I wanted to continue to be part of that that life that uh mission set. So yeah okay. the A-10 was another one choice and I also Knew the A-10 doesn't pull as many Gs as an F-16 or an F-15C or an F-22. And my back is less than ideal right now. And I knew that going into power training. So I was like, eh, five and a half to six Gs is probably just fine for what my body can handle for the next 15 years. All right. Fair enough. So... so just curious, so did you have a, a backup after the A-10? Like, what was your next choice? It was A-10, then Strike Eagle, that 15 okay. E model. F-15. Nice. Yeah. That's a cool plane, in my opinion. 
Oh, that's yes. You know what's going to be <laughs> ironic is. is once uh, Kenya goes through flight training, if they stick him with an F sixteen, <laughs> dude, it'd be awesome. <laughs> I, I'm poor guy. I'm going to laugh. I'm going to be upset for him, but I'm also going to laugh. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> so, oh, that sucks. So, so all those guys in the bottom <laughs> half of the class that are still fighter qualified, they're probably getting an F-16. Yeah. Well, there's so many more F-16s <laughs> than anything else, right? Yes, still yeah. are. Correct. That's, yeah, I figured the sheer number would mean that so many would go to F-16s. But Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it still looks like a fun ride. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. I, to me, it's an incredible aircraft. And yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't be upset if I got assigned to F-16s. See, that's my thing. It's always been one of my favorites, but I'm not the one having to do maintenance on it either. So, well, yeah, your... I drive a Civic. You know, I'm early or really easily impressed. <laughs> and you fly gliders. <clears throat> yeah. Exactly. Glider yeah. 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 Energy <laughs> management. You're right. It's not cool. Harnessing Mother Nature, whatever. Yeah, it's just the uh, vegan liberal hippie uh, okay. thing to say. Green energy is a scam, hey, if I, dude. Anybody yeah, told you? If I, yeah, you're right. But if I start eating tofu and wearing a man bun, I think you got just cause. But brother, that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> One of the well, best displays I, of energy management I've ever seen was Bob Hoover, and he didn't even use a glider. He did it like a real man. Who? <laughs> Damn. Even Bob Jason's Hoover. slamming me. <laughs> oh, Bob Hoover, yeah, with the Arrow Commander. I was like, who did he say? Yep. <laughs> did it like a real man. Could have shut the engine off. <laughs> that's true. That was some of the that's some of the greatest stuff ever, man. Arrow Commander, engines off, freaking straight down the runway. Jeez. Yeah. Oh, Bob Hoover. Off the just in general, though, like that guy. Just some of the most awesome things you could think of he was involved with it so yeah that 1g barrel roll yeah pouring yeah. water and pouring water into glass while he's flying it that's cool <laughs> yeah the thing that, that i find fascinating about bob hoover too though is like he flew p51s in world war ii and then was involved with breaking the sound barrier like he was in the chase plane when uh chuck yeager broke the sound barrier you know, he's, he's one of those guys that was there for a lot of those big milestone events in the aviation history. Hey, Casey, you brought yeah. up gliders that nobody's yeah. sending you a message on Facebook or anything, are they? Yeah, they damn sure are. <laughs> I just got a screenshot <laughs> of it. Apparently Spiegel's wound up and giving him just as much crap as we are. So he anyway. absolutely is. It was so good that I was questioning if I should bring it up because I don't know if he's for real or not. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, man. That's funny. Anyway. <laughs> so we should read we should read that on the show. Let's get through the serious yep. stuff and then we'll. Well, yeah, the, I don't want to forget this. There was something I was going to ask Mark about and it involves the A-10. So I've seen a video somewhat recently and it was talking about a particular form of attack that uh, a pair of a10s would do and uh like uh, one of the aircraft would come down strafe a target and within just i think it was like 15 seconds the second aircraft hit it 
at 90 degrees to that. And 15 seconds later, the first aircraft had circled around and they would hit the target at 90 degrees. So basically like every 15 seconds, there was rounds on target and they were coming from a different, a different direction every time. So like a pair of A-10s could just annihilate a target and keep them at bay, essentially. Um, can you kind of, is that really a thing? Am I, are my facts off or tell me about that? So if it's more than twice every 15 seconds, it's probably a four ship. This was a two and ship. I know that. If, if it was a full two ship, then you can get most definitely two times through. And then it's probably going to take another, not quite 15 seconds, probably going to take between 45 seconds and a minute for the number one to come back in again, more than likely. Okay. Because they need to get need to get, need to get a little altitude, come back around, get your airspeed back before you go in for another pass. <laughs> okay. Not so, quite every 15 seconds, but 15 seconds, 15, or one time in, 15 seconds, and then 45 seconds later, another 15 seconds. So it's still pretty fast well not only that but is that that's a thing though right so it's a pair of a10s or maybe a group of four that normally yes. work together yes okay absolutely any any of our fighter planes in combat they're working in pairs at least <clears throat> okay like almost never flying single ship in, in combat as a fighter aircraft <clears throat> gotcha so with that, are you guys doing lots of communication uh, from aircraft to aircraft, or is it a lot of uh, like hand signals and you just, you know, your role, so you do what you're supposed to do. And the other guy does the same. So this is where your Top Gun movies are distorting reality a little bit. Most of the time in combat, you're not flying anywhere close to your wingman. You're probably a mile, mile and a half plus away from each other. So everything is pretty much over the radio or digitally via data links. Okay. Well, the reason I say it, I think on fighter pilot podcast, uh, maybe this is a difference in the Navy, but whenever they were flying like formation stuff, they don't do a lot of stuff over the radio. It's a lot of radio silent stuff and they use hand signals a lot, if I'm not mistaken. If, and and if like, like when they... Well, like one of the things that I remember them talking about was landing on the boat. Like the whole call the ball thing was kind of BS, if I'm not mistaken, because they actually don't yeah. do a lot of communication between uh, the ship and the aircraft. Like that's all basically a practiced routine. Mm -hmm. So I'll caveat the combat we're far away from each other when we're like ingressing or egressing or going to the tanker coming back through weather, then we're going to be close together flying fingertip or really close formation where you can do the visual signals and do the whole calm out drill. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> but y'all aren't sitting there like uh, Doug and Chappie and talking about <laughs> whatever. <laughs> you, you, it's all business, right? I've, so pond crossings in the A-10, <laughs> not so much. <laughs> so interflight frequency, you're, you'd BS and do whatever you needed to to pass the time for six hours as you're flying across the ocean. So I was in charge of the in-flight entertainment 
as number six at our six ship <laughs> to get, the, get back to the tanker or get get back from Europe, I should say. What uh, does a uh, in-flight entertainment entail? It could be a variety of things. Like you could make up your own like a uh, awesome. battleship boards basically and you'd hand them out like right before the flight like here's your battleship board and you play battleship against each other <laughs> um <laughs> you could tell jokes i uh, decided to have a whole list of a joke book with you i did what was called lateral thinking puzzles which is i gave i gave the guys a scenario <clears throat> and they would have to get ask yes or no questions and then they'd have to figure out the whole backstory about why the said scenario happened. <laughs> so that sounds way those... brainy. <laughs> they weren't. It was they... Colonel Mustard in the uh, laboratory with the uh, candlestick. Pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> so something similar to that. Something <laughs> kind of, but but these lateral thinking puzzles, dude. They lasted the full four days flying back like we were on them for it took us 24 hours of flying to get back from poland to davis mountain and we were pretty much doing them the whole way wow so i i kept the whole six six ship engaged the whole time nice um, did you say poland yes oh wow yeah that'd be a short flight huh playing a game of intellectual clue is what it sounds like right <laughs> yeah you know what they weren't playing was whack fuck <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I was thinking more like I spy, I spy. Yeah. Yeah. I spy would definitely run out of things in about three I'm rounds. Something I'm, blue. I'm it's spy. water. It's water. Cloud. Yeah. <laughs> Can I play with my guns? Is that cool? Uh, yeah. <laughs> What's this trigger do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was cool. Your turn. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Jeez. So, I have a do you guys ever have? Training. Oh, go ahead, Casey. Did you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Did Clay cut it off? No. Got it. Question about training. Yeah. So, like, you ever jack with these people that you're training? Like, are you taking somebody up that's kind of like a fresh noob, and you like freak them out, do something crazy? No. <laughs> I wouldn't say we do that. No, we're man a little more serious than that in our flying. I would say, but yeah, I would say that too. But not <laughs> currently. My job, my job currently is to teach our new instructors how to teach. So I'm the instructor, oh, okay. instructor yeah. trainer. Oh, okay. So, so it's my job to play dumb student to teach these guys. Like when they have to intervene in a scenario to make sure we stay safe. So, well, dude, that sounds like you could jack us in real hard. So, <laughs> in those in those scenarios, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> absolutely, and then like the like if there's a two ship formation that's going to go out, and there's two, uh, I, what I'm what's called a pit IP pilot instructor training instructor. Uh, so two pit IPs would get together before the flight and be like, okay. Here's my game plan. This is how I'm going to screw with them. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And then the other guy's like, ooh, if I inject this right here, that's really going to mess both of them up. And we're like, yes, let's do it. Yeah. So, <laughs> no. <laughs> that 
so that most definitely ha- that that most happens before the flight, and then in the flight, if the trainees that I got with me are screwing something up, and I find a really fun place to add a little twist to what they're trying to teach me, or teach them a lesson of like, no, you really didn't want to tell me to do that. So then I would it drives the lesson home uh, when I would to tell do exactly what they asked me to do which is not what they should have asked me to do to begin with does that make sense yeah yep so fly poorly when you know you shouldn't do that because they told you the wrong thing yeah gotcha exactly yes exactly okay so when you guys are flying uh basically like you don't go by you don't say from aircraft to aircraft like hey bucket this or blah 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 it's a like you have a an aircraft call sign right like a flight call sign and then yes. like an aircraft number yes okay so, so that cha- so my call sign in the a10 that i flew with was fable zero one was my call sign why zero one so every flight lead the number was oh, it was always zero one the wingmen were zero two if there was a four ship it'd be one through four so so you Fable could be, belong to me. Okay, but that was your squadron call sign, right? That was my personal call sign when I was the flight lead. That's what I would use as our flight call sign. Okay. So the flight call signs would change depending on who was the lead? Correct. Okay. See, I thought the flight call signs was basically like a unit. Um, like in, if you, you've heard the LA speed story about the SR-71. And he talks about the uh, Dusty 5-2 come on the radio, wanting a speed check. And he's like, hang on, that's a F-18 out of Lemoore, you know? Yep. So, like he, and then like uh, SR-71s were uh, Aspen. I don't know why I can remember that, but um, I didn't know if it was maybe like a unit-based thing. So, so I think heavies, heavies do that more often. Okay. Uh, so here's so, – so the heavies – each unit has a specific like couple of call signs that they use. A fighter unit probably has 30 different call signs that are assigned to that unit, which allows every single flight lead to have their own individual flight call sign. But it still belongs to the individual units own them. So your concept is correct. It's just that there's more yep. call signs available to the unit. Okay. See, I thought there would be like one, you know, for that unit. So you could basically well, we, like if you heard on the radio somebody said such and such, you knew what unit it was. But then I've heard like in combat, uh, like the story about Robin Olds, uh, the mission that they flew over North Vietnam, where they shot down all those MiG twenty ones. Like they chose a uh, uh, different car manufacturers. So like there's yep. four waves of the of the mission, and I can remember this because Robin Olds, of course, was Olds that was the Oldsmobile or whatever. And then they're like a Rambler was one of the other uh, flights of F fours in that one. But uh, I can't remember the other three other two, but anyway, so like they would pick out kind of have like a theme, you know, like car manufacturers or I don't know, something other than that. But anyway, is that something that they kind of do now or what? So combat call signs, you're going to have different call signs when you go to combat as well, because they want to be have a little more secrecy in who's flying what. 
So those are going to be different. Um, but imagine a heavy unit. How many planes are heavy units flying per day? Do you think? It's probably like, I don't know, between two Handful. and three. Yeah. Like a five or so, maybe max. Well, fighter units, they're going to put 25 planes up a, a day. So okay. having only one call sign with 25, we get really 25 confusing. people trying to use that call sign. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So you run out of numbers pretty quickly. <clears throat> so, if, and then you, or you get the numbers confused and then all sorts of mayhem would happen. So different <laughs> call signs were, were required at that point. So another one going into radios in the A-10, when you guys would talk to guys on the ground, did you have to switch frequencies for when you were talking to your air or wingman? And then when you would talk to the guys on the ground, or was that like, you have like dual comms where you can talk to either or without changing frequencies on the radio. How did that work? So the A-10, when I was flying it initially had three separate radios. So you'd have like your air traffic control frequency. You would have your interflight frequency and then you'd have a third frequency, which could be your air to ground frequency, which you're talking about. So we could be up on all three as well at the same time. So how do you select which one you're talking to at a given time? Are you talking over uh, all three? So the A10, there is a little toggles, there's a four-way toggle switch up, forward, down, and back. And depending which way you push that toggle switch is which radio you're you're using the freak to transmit on. So the hat switch on the joystick is what does that? Nope, it's actually in your throttle on oh, the left gotcha. side. Okay. Yep. The hat the hat switch on the joystick is your trim for ailerons oh. and elevator. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. So, and so yep. when you talk to guys on the ground, is that still UHF or is it go to VHF? Depends on what the equipment they had. Every unit had different equipment. So a lot of most of the time it was UHF, but we most definitely were using VHF as well. And just remember that as military, you have secure communications and you have uh, frequency hopping as well available to you. So <clears throat> just to make it more secure instead of being on, on an open network, basically. Yeah. So and how many like, times did you ever queue up on the wrong channel? That happens daily here. <laughs> <laughs> In pilot training, it happens all the time. Yep. <laughs> well, I can see me saying something real crazy and thinking I'm just talking to my wingman or something. But no, I'm broadcasting on all of them or sending yep. it to the tower. I'm like, what? Well, yep. The reason I'm so interested in this is I'm not a pilot, but I did take a few lessons when I was in college. And uh, the, the training I'd done was at a controlled airfield. And I noticed that uh, for me, that was the more challenging thing actually was what to say, when to say it and how to say it. Um, and then clearly hearing, I had some cheap Dave Clark headsets. So for me, it was really hard to actually understand what people were saying. Um, and to me, I always found that that was one of the harder things about flying a small airplane. Um you know, and like if you were to train at an uncontrolled field, that would be something that you don't really practice. And it could be very difficult when you did go to a controlled airfield. Obviously, with the Air Force, you guys 
train that immediately. So it's probably not a big deal for you guys. So comms are still like we have training objectives every single time we go up and communications is probably on 90 plus percent on of our training objectives that the students want to work on because comm is always a problem. Like they either can't use the correct comm or they're using the wrong radios, whatever it is. Like it is still an issue all the time. I remember when I got my private pilot's license where I, I learned out a field that was uncontrolled, like you're talking about. And then what my most nervous flights were, oh my gosh, I'm going to go to Fargo and go to the class Delta airspace and talk <laughs> to a control tower on the radio. Like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I did my training at a cl- uh, uh, class D as well. And uh, out of Monroe and yeah, it was, it's a little more nerve wracking than you might think if you've never done it. It's really intense. It's more intense than you would think it would be. Try flying into Okinawa where the controller, his first language might not be English. Yeah, yeah that would be fun. Yeah. I turn left now. Look out, everybody else. <laughs> Coming right on in. So that was. Uh, go ahead, Mark. That was always fun in the B-52 when we were in Guam, when we'd take our flights around Southeast Asia, talk with the Filipinos and the Indonesians, and their communications were, like you said, not very good English. And then flying in Bay 10 in Romania and Poland, where <laughs> if you're if the controllers are talking to native speakers, they wouldn't even use English like they were supposed to. <laughs> so we were hearing both languages on the radio over the ATC freak, which is not the way it's supposed to be, but we were doing it. Yeah. Well, what was the story behind that with the Lufthansa pilot? He's like, I'm in a German airplane in Germany. Why can't I speak German? And the British pilot come on the radio. Is it because you lost the bloody war? Because you lost the war. That's a, I find it extremely interesting because to me, that's, it's kind of like Mark said, you know, like the movies, they get it completely wrong, but it definitely adds to it. To me, that's part of the fun. And, uh, well, did you say me wrong? I enjoyed the crap out of Top Gun. Like those movies were phenomenal (laughs) for what they were. Yeah. So what, tell me this, Mark, Iron Eagle or Top Gun? Oh God. Top Gun. (laughs) (laughs) Don't try to tell me that you didn't watch Iron Eagle and say, I'm going to join the air force because of this. (laughs) You know, I didn't even know what Iron Eagle until I was already in the air force to tell you the truth. What? Didn't didn't even know about it. Oh man. That's what, that was one of my favorites growing (laughs) up actually. Missed out on some Lou Gossett Jr. I know that. Oh, You're right. <laughs> yeah. You know, Doug, he could, Doug couldn't fly unless he was listening to rock music. Mm-hmm. He was a terrible right. pilot otherwise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I wore that tape out. So, Dude, the oh, first yeah. of that Some movie is <laughs> the Cessna scene, like where he's racing Notcher on the XR. Right. Five, yeah. uh, what was it? XR 500, maybe? It was a really cool old dirt bike. And yeah. uh, anyway, flying the Cessna 150 Aerobat, uh, 
I always thought that was it's way. It's cool. a really crazy storyline if you think about it. So he races that dude. He crashes his airplane, and then his dad got freaking, you know, yeah. a bad deal. And then next thing you know, he's a fighter pilot. I mean, dude, what a yeah. rags to riches story. And he's flying <laughs> against a unknown, uh, hostile nation, flying mirages. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna need my Walkman for this. <laughs> yeah, strap it to your leg. Oh yeah. Oh man, it was a good flick though. Well, Mark, you said you, you flew A10s and where Poland and Romania. So I was stationed in Tucson, and I've deployed to Europe, where I got to spend time in Romania, Poland, and England. How, how long were you in Europe? Uh, I was only there for about 45 days. Okay. So about to spend 10 days in Romania, got to see the real Dracula's castle, which is a little (laughs) tiny fortress up like 1500 steps to get up there. It was pretty cool. Uh, It's heavier. Have you guys watched Top Gear before? Mm -hmm. Yep. So Top Gear is like their number one highway in the world is in Romania. And I got you got the, I got to drive that. That was really <laughs> cool. Beautiful. It's awesome. Are we talking uh, about you? Uh sometime around the 2010-ish time frame. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, the original top gear. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say the there original one. I don't remember the guys' what, names, the- but the <clears throat> British ones were way funnier than the other ones. I, that's my point. I like the original top gear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like the what didn't one of them always have like a wacky car? Like he would always come up with something off the wall. Um, one of them always is it did. Bri- is it Brian May? Is that who it was? Yeah. Brian, I think it's James Brian May. May. It was James, James May. May. That's it. Yeah, Brian May is the guitar player for Queen. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so close. <laughs> hey, uh, almost, Casey. At least you got the right nationality. Right. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mark. Go ahead. Yeah, no, you're good. Well, I was going to say, how? So, how did you end up leaving the A10 and coming to try be an instructor here? So, when I was actually here for pilot training, I was like, man, this is really cool. Like, I wish I could just stay here and teach you guys because I really like instructing. As one, you of my must not have been here passions. during the summer. <laughs> I was. Smart paying attention, all, apparently. <laughs> all well, all of our pilot training bases are in really hot locations like that, though. Like oh, okay. Enid, Oklahoma, is the farthest north pilot training base that we have. Oh wow! Okay, it's still way hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you can go to Columbus, Mississippi, where it's Ugh. ridiculously humid. Yeah, yeah. No, thanks. And it's also in Mississippi. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you have. Del Rio, Texas, which is border town, sketchy. Mm-hmm. No thanks. And also hot as well. And then we have here. Yeah. So four the four main power training bases. So Shepard was the least of all those evils for locations, anyway. <laughs> sounds like it. Anyway, so, but, but that's why I wanted. I actually wanted to come back after my A-10 tour to instruct. Okay. So I was able to do that. So you were um, only in the A-10 out of Davis-Monthan 
and then deployed with that unit and that was it? Correct. Okay. So in my whole 15 year career, I've had zero combat time, sadly. Which but is some pretty cool deployments, pretty cool stories, but yeah, that's no kind of amazing time. to me that throughout your, almost your entire career, we've been at war with Iraq or Afghanistan and you managed to not go to combat there. Yep. So I was supposed to be, I was deployed to Kuwait for the ISIS fight. Uh, and I was supposed to go fly. So I deployed as a, actually as a safety position. So I was a base safety officer and I was supposed to go travel to Insulik, Turkey, where the ATMs are at and actually go fly combat missions out there. But then when I got to my, when I got to my base in Kuwait, I was the only Air Force pilot on the installation out of 800 Air Force personnel and 1200 Marines that were stationed at that base, the only Air Force pilot. And the base commander was like, "Mm, I need you here. And he wouldn't let me go fly combat. So Uh, asked me how perturbed I was at that one. Yeah, I can imagine. So you got to go to Kuwait and like run a desk, basically? Yep. Uh, Oh, yeah. Like to have to go to Kuwait, number one, but then not get to go for the reason that you've trained for, that would be horrible. Yeah, didn't even get to build a sandcastle. So I was... I was there for six months, uh, and the first month and a half there, I was a little bit bitter. I can imagine. <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, I can imagine. After a month and a half, I got over it, but it was still frustrating, to say the least. So, I don't remember if it was uh, Qatar or Kuwait that Kerry, uh, Kerry uh, actually went to both. I think he got deployed, like combat deployed, three times, I think. Um, but anyway, um, I think it was Kuwait. He told me the day he left, he took a picture of the thermometer there and it was over 130. Yeah, I can believe that it was consistently it's a, like it's a dry heat though. <laughs> it's just a raw dry heat though. Good grief. My it's brother sent raw. pictures. It's just a dry heat. Sent pictures from over there to Afghanistan and, and, uh, it's just the temperatures they had. So yeah. Kuwait is a pretty small country, right? Kuwait City is like the only big city in Kuwait, and that's it's right on the, the Gulf there. Yeah, I was going to say it's humid, and, actually. <laughs> and yeah, Kuwait City is nasty. Absolutely horrendous. Because <laughs> it's all the heat plus all the humidity, and it's hot. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure the heat index there was off the charts like crazy all the time in the summer. Yeah, and I can't remember which one it was, but uh, Carrie had also said you'd get so hot throughout the day and you'd get used to it to where it would drop to like a hundred at night and you would feel cool. It wouldn't feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, you'd just, actually get kind of chilly. Like you want to put a jacket on and I'm like, that's having, not possible. <laughs> just having the sun go down was a great relief. <laughs> Period. Yeah. Carrie's got some, really crazy stories that I don't think he really wants to tell too many people. He has told me a few of them, but having been deployed to Iraq and Kuwait and places over there, man, he saw some crazy stuff happen. 
So. Yep, sadly, I did not. Not that I want to see that type of stuff, but I want to see it from the air, which I should have been dropping bombs and shooting, shooting the gun. I got some pretty good buddies in the A10 that were that did the ISIS site right after I came back from that deployment and got the distinguished flying crosses for helping a bunch of soft guys in Syria get out of a bad situation. Wow. What what did you call soft? You talking about special operations? Correct. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. So what would that be like uh Rangers or Delta or what? Rangers or SEALs. Uh we got Air Force got special ops as well. I I don't even know who they were, and they probably will never. They'll probably never know exactly what unit it was that yeah. was there at the time. Well, if I'm not mistaken, so, like JSOC has units from all branches that all fall yes. under JSOC, which basically controls yeah. all of those. So it's it's like their their own branch almost. I've done a, quite a bit of research on JSOC too, and to me, it's really interesting how that works that gets convoluted pretty quickly with every branch of the military having their own special operations and then having the jsoc which is the joint which is all the units put together and it's yeah it's <clears throat> and then if you're working with component commanders or the deployed commanders then you, you probably use the jsoc forces where they just pull from the individual uh, military branches, units, and then go as one type thing. It's very, very convoluted. So um, I'm going to butcher this story, but it, it involves JSOC guys. And uh, this, uh, so maybe not everybody knows, but my job at work is as a corrosion tech. And one of the things we do is install ground beds. And uh, one of the guys that is in this business he was a former Green Beret. And so this guy's drilled a lot of wells for me. He's He does environmental work and, like I said, well drilling now. But uh, anyway, he was a Green Beret from, uh, I believe it was 1988 to like 94, somewhere in there. And uh, I was asking him about some of the training because he never deployed either. Like they, they didn't go to Desert Storm or anything at that time. Uh, he was actually in a unit that fought in uh, like cold climates, kind of like a mountain division. Um, But anyway, he said that uh, they were doing some training and uh, him being a green beret, I thought it was kind of funny. They were training with seals actually. And he said, we're getting ready to jump out of this airplane, static line uh, parachuting or, you know, not skydiving really, but anyway, he said he's in line and he hooks his static line to the cable in the plane and they're walking back. And he said, this guy behind him um, taps him on the shoulder and he's like, Hey man, how do you do this? He's like, what, what, what are you talking about? He's like, didn't you go to jump school? He's like, well, no, I skipped that or something. And he's like, I've never done this before. How do I do this? <laughs> and he said, this is a seal behind him. And part of the story is he's like seals. They're not real smart but they're really tough. <laughs> and, and so he said, they jump out of this plane and as they're coming down, he's like, one of the things you do is you steer your chute to where you're going into the wind. And uh, 
he said, I was a little bit heavier guy and I was ahead of him. He said, so I got on the ground quicker than this guy did. And, uh, he said, this seal is going downwind. And he said, we're all on the ground, hollering up at him, telling him to turn his chute. And he doesn't hear us. And he said, he's just screaming by going downwind on this parachute and, uh, falls in all these, uh, brambles and like sage bushes and stuff. And just, is in the desert. So he's just tumbling all through this stuff. And he said, we go over there thinking that this guy is going to be dead. Right. Cause he just hit the ground going 20 miles an hour or something. And he said, he gets over there and the seal jumps up and like, damn, that sucked. <laughs> and like, didn't hurt him at all. And he said, this guy was just wild. And like he'd get up every morning and, uh, go run like 12 miles before they would do all their training exercises and on this particular training exercise, they they jumped into like a desert area and stayed out there for I think it was three weeks or something like that. And he said this guy would get up and run every day. And he said, Well, that I turned 21 during that training exercise. And he said this SEAL got up one morning and ran to the nearest town and bought him a six pack and then ran it back out there to him. It was like, Hey, happy birthday, dude. <laughs> so I always thought it was a pretty funny story. I probably butchered it, but if Clark would tell it, it's, it is really funny, but that's funny. long story short, seals are stupid, but really tough. So <laughs> I tell Hey, how do you do this right before they're going to bail out of that plane? That's, that sounds like something they would do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yep. anyway, so, uh, well, from, let's see, where were we at from the A-10 you came decided to come back here and be an instructor yes in right so i kept same program i went to bow training with i got here in march of 2017 and i've been here ever since in a variety of different desk jobs but always instructing in the t38 on a pretty much daily basis nice okay nice yeah sounds fun and how long have you done that since March of 2017, so five years, five. three months. I must have so met you I got, not long after that then, because I feel like I've known you that since that time. So, I, when was it? I think it was 18 when we met. That may be right. I was trying to tell somebody the other day about the paintball birthday party we had, <laughs> and I remembered you being there. I'm like, Mark's been here a while, because he was there for that, and that's been a while. I was so. there for that one. That was a lot of fun. <clears throat> taught you guys all sorts of aerial maneuvers that we use in aerial combat oh yeah to not <laughs> to not die <laughs> <laughs> i did a pretty good job until i flew only five feet in front of the paintballs oh we found out that he had to fly super slow and steady for us to be able to hit him <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say he's showing you all the ways you can't hit him <laughs> It's really hard to hit an airplane with a paintball gun. I'm just going to yeah. say that. Yeah, I can imagine. It is very difficult. Well, they didn't ever take it out either, did they? You hit it a couple of times? Uh, we hit uh, it like 50. Okay. Yep. We ended up hitting about 50 times, right? And then, so it crashed once because the paintball hit the elevator control horn. Okay. So I lost elevator control. And so that crashed on that one. We fixed that one. And then I don't know if we ever... We Did shot the hinge line. Yeah, we, we eventually completely oh. took it out by shooting the elevator completely off. Yeah, okay. 
That's right. It broke broke the hinges. It was a little foamy T28, and we broke the hinges. Okay. Um, yep. And then we also had the uh, Duraplane 20, and we shot the rudder completely off of it. Nice. And that's all it had was elevator and rudder. So um, <laughs> I actually still have that in the condition that it was when we shot it up. So I, I haven't ever even fixed it. Um, maybe this year. But it's amazing how much damage those things would take before they fell out of the sky. Like it was crazy. Yeah. Lots of holes. Well, I've heard the stories about the paintball, but I hadn't had a chance to experience it yet. So yeah, same here. Do that again. I, I think we need to redo, Mark. <laughs> Sounds good. Let's do it. Because what I'm hearing is uh, I think you and me are the only ones still flying that was involved with that. I don't even know if Bill was there for that one. Renee was there. Ren- oh, yeah, Renee was there because it was Renee's T28. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then Craig, my buddy Craig, is the one that provided the paintball gun, but he doesn't really fly anymore. Uh, but yeah, uh, it was, we definitely need to redo that one. I'm all up for the flying of whatever aircraft it is, as long as it's not mine. <laughs> <laughs> Minor detail, right? Hey, speaking of that, <laughs> I just saw a picture where Kanye successfully killed your airplane that you gave him. He finally killed the six something extra, the one that was supposed to go through the fence at Duncan. That there's a Casey. Did you are you the one that convinced him not to do it? No, why would I do that? I would talk him into it. Someone talked him out of it that night. I after, think it I was heard. Clint, actually. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think it was Clint. Casey took care of the uh, the chaos. other one, though. yeah, the chaos. Oh, Mark, oh you, you, you missed out on that, Mark. <laughs> that was an impressive crash. It really was. Yard like, sailed it. Yard I've not seen it. too many planes explode. It exploded. <laughs> oh, dude. He's jerked back on that elevator, man. He's trying to get it through that loop. And dude never lets off the gas, though. Man, it was full <laughs> throttle the whole way. <laughs> yeah. So all three of those planes finally met the demise they were supposed to meet. That's good. But the only problem was that Kenya lost the motor today when he broke the cat or when he six up the next year, he lost the motor on it. Uh, looks like he killed a battery too. The battery Not cells battery. were separated. Yeah, the battery I didn't care so much about. I wanted I wanted the motor ESC and the servos out of that guy, but this motor is toast, I guess. Yeah, couldn't find it. So I think he said he lost radio signal out by the tree. So was he yeah, flying not... here in town? That's where yeah. the post read. Yeah. Okay. So he crashed it over by the big, like that. He found the plane by the big hill south of the runway Uh, oh wow okay well so tr miller actually described where we have radio problems at at wichita falls like to a t and then greg said yep exactly so that's where i thought that (laughs) so Uh, it might have happened there and then just flew all the way down there maybe without 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 radio control on it (laughs) i only as soon as mine left that area i didn't have any trouble and the last time i flew there i didn't have any issues with my airplanes but I didn't go that to that far northeast corner. I, I kind of right. stay away from that yeah. Bermuda yeah. Triangle over there. So, yeah, there's something over that pond, man. You get anywhere near that thing with a big plane, and I don't know. It's kind of does does its own thing. Yep. I just stay away Ooh. from it before it uh, gets bad. Yeah. 
Well, while we got Mark, I still want to ask one more question at least. So (laughs) (laughs) when you were doing your training, I'm sure you got to drop live ordinance at least some. Uh, Yes. And did you prefer bombing or strafing with the gun? What do you think? Strafing (laughs) for sure. (laughs) Strafing is most definitely the most fun thing they tend to do for weapons employment. Yeah. The gun shakes the plane like you feel it like crazy in the cockpit. You see the gun smoke coming off of the front of the gun. You smell the gun gas in the cockpit. Like it's a visceral experience. And then if you are shooting that gun into the sun at all, you actually can see the bullet flight path. Like you know how you see bullets in slow motion on the movies every now and then? Yeah. Like you can see that same type of effect from the bullets the whole mile mile and a half that they're running to the target like it's wow. awesome you watch that's trace a, all the way through yeah 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 well, they don't they don't have tracer rounds though do they no it's not it's not tracer. no it's, we call it trace and ah. rifle you know you can see just like the, the swirl and the stuff coming off of it yeah i know what you're yeah. talking about now that yeah, makes yeah. sense yes okay yeah yeah and it's very evident when you're shooting into the sun yeah so did you guys use like mostly dump, dumb bombs or did you use like uh, rockets or like a missile type, like air to ground missile, like maybe a Maverick or anything like that? So all of our A-10s on, on training missions, we have what's called uh, just a training Maverick. So there's no actual rocket uh, propulsion system on it. It's just the, the body with the cameras basically so you can just train with it but they don't actually come off the rail i've shot one live maverick that was pretty awesome uh on a tank like target in western arizona uh but rockets are probably some of the most fun things to shoot as well so even this unguided 2.75 inch rockets yep that's what i was gonna say the 2.75s yeah yeah, I like so those tiny, really... tiny little training bomb. I like the yeah, tiny the BD... little training bomb. <laughs> the BDU 30, the BDU 33s. I think Matt's Matt has I one. I actually have ball. one sitting right here. Yeah, that uh, <laughs> the dude across the street uh, had. He was in munitions or whatever. But yeah, I actually have one of the dummy bombs sitting here. So when I was at Barksdale, they were the training base for the ATMs. And it was just hilarious to see all the hard points full of those tiny little bombs. <laughs> the streamers yeah. are bigger than the bombs. <laughs> <laughs> so those little bombs are actually more dangerous on the ramp than real 500 or 2,000 pound bombs. <laughs> just for the fact that they have uh, a little like white phosphorus round in it that was way more sensitive than any of our actual ordinances. Is that what screws into the nose of it? Yeah. Okay. Yep. You know, thankfully, so, yeah, there's, the not nose one, hit... there's not one in the one I have. Just <laughs> yeah. for heads up. Yeah, the nose. Yeah, the, when the nose hits the ground in those things, it, a little white phosphorus puff pops out, so you can actually see where it is. So okay. you can you can score yourself, or someone else can see it. Um, so yeah. Uh, when you guys were using yes. those, did you have to? Uh, was it a big deal to land with live ordnance or? Was it one of those things like when you went out, you wanted to drop everything so you didn't have to land with it? 
Landing with five ordinance was fine as long as it was ordinance you didn't try to drop. Ah, if it's gotcha. or if it's if it's ordinance you tried to release and it didn't come off your jet, you did not want to come back home with that. So what do you so do then? You would call with you just jettison it. So you'd try to release it with the with the uh, arming pins still connected to the bomb so they wouldn't explode. But you just try whatever ways you can just to get it off the airplane. Okay. From there. I know, like, again, listening to fighter pilot podcast, that's kind of a big deal with the Navy. Of course, they land a lot harder than the Air Force guys. But, um, you know, it was a big deal. Like, if uh, you tried to drop a weapon and it doesn't release for whatever reason, that it was a really big deal. Because if it comes off when they land, it's going to be bad. Yeah, that's going to be yep. all bad. So there, there's very specific procedures at all Air Force bases that have that type of ordinance for the aircraft. Like you will land going this direction. You will taxi off the runway pointing this direction. You will park your aircraft here and you will like, it's very, very procedural to make sure everything stays safe for sure. Get out is, of the aircraft and run like hell. <laughs> Jumping out of an A-10 cockpit is not something I wanted to do because I was 14 feet in the air. I was going to say they're not short. Yeah, no, nope. You guys, like pilots. At least they have a ladder, right? Yes. What, Jason? Uh, uh, we had a, a B-52 come back with a, a hung weapon in a Bombay uh, more than once, but the the one time that was the most dramatic was. The, they actually tried to drop the weapon at too high of an airspeed and it did not leave the bomb bay. It came free of the aircraft and they closed the bomb bay doors and the weapon was just riding the air current and stayed inside the bomb bay. So when they closed the doors, it was just sitting on the bomb bay doors. Ooh, and oh they, God. they came back home like that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they, they just shut down on the runway. <laughs> so what do, complete you, stop. what do you do? Like get back in the bomb bay and put the fuse back in it or remove the fuse with it in there or what do you do so being a crew chief i go out and put the chocks on it and the gear pins in and i walk away <laughs> Leave. Get the, and get the f away run yeah. away. <laughs> <laughs> now the munitions guys they actually have to go in and uh rig a hoist in the bomb bay to lift the bomb off the doors and try to put it back up on one of the racks to hold it so they can open the doors and then come use a regular bomb loader to come get it out Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. But they do all yeah, that while I'm well away from the aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think rearming it is really an option as far as I know. Like but, being able to put a pin back in after it's already been pulled. Is... Oh. <laughs> I didn't know if maybe they could just unscrew the fuse or something like that and take the fuse out of it. I, sure. I, I, I don't know the logistics of that one. Gotcha. Yeah. I know uh talking with uh, Larry, he uh he said those he called them ordies. He's like ordnance guys, ordnancemen in the navy. He's like, those are some unique guys. He said those are some strange characters that are ordies. <laughs> uh, I, I think you can say that about the uh, the Air Force munitions guys as well. Like they're I'm sure. again a very they're a very special breed. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know a couple of Army EOD guys that are, are retired now, and I think they're even stranger. They're uh, they're different. <laughs> Man, EOD guys, those guys are crazy. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> Where are we at on time, Matt? Uh, we are about uh, two hours and twenty minutes in. So, okay. yeah, I think, I think we got- Casey went to bed already. Wait, no, what? Huh? He hadn't hung oh, up on us oh. yet. Yeah, he's still here. <laughs> <laughs> but it is his bedtime. I did tell him we'd try and get done by about ten o'clock. Hey, man, don't don't end this because of me. You guys keep going. I'm, I'm not, chilling. I'm We're good. Completely well, blaming you. <laughs> actually, it's. <laughs> We're going to run out. I think we, we're we still on that 245 hard limit uh, with the uh, anchor. Yeah, we so. probably got 20, 25 minutes left. Yeah. But, yeah. No, it's been good, though. I've, I've It's a lot of questions I've wanted to ask Mark, and uh, I've talked to Mark about stuff all throughout the years because I guess I should have joined the Air Force. I'm still fascinated with so much of it, mm-hmm. and uh, – I always look forward to talking to you guys about it. Yeah. I've, I've always been fascinated with the planes. Like I said, you know, F 16s always been one of my favorites. Of course, you know, I just rag on Canyon now because he hates it so much, but, uh, <laughs> you know, those kinds of things and uh, coming to the air shows as a kid and that kind of stuff. It's always been fascinating to me. So it's cool to hear the stories. I'll probably post a picture of the scrap pile about uh, when I was a static display at an air show in England. Could probably get a kick out of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice. Tell us that story quickly. <laughs> uh, nah, I think it'll be better on this podcast. Or not the podcast, the, uh, the scrap pile. I'll show, I'll show you the picture and then we can talk about it afterwards. That was uh, all right. for the, the first time the A-10s had been in England in about five years. So all the English guys that were like, oh, we miss the A-10 so much, man, I could not go out of a bar without getting multiple free drinks that weekend. <laughs> it was nice. It was awesome. So, so that's awesome. Yeah. Jason, I see you on sure. your name here. What's what's the H part of that? Buffalo H. And I know that's an, an Air Force term for you, uh, the nickname at least. Hill. The H uh, just stands for my last name. Yeah. Oh, boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Great question, Clay. Yeah. <laughs> Interviewer well, of the answer. year. I was hoping it was something way better than that. <laughs> no. I got to show you the chocks they gave me when I left. They gave me a set of wooden chocks because they, when you leave, they, well, my unit called it pulling chocks. So they gave me a set of wooden chocks that they made, and there's there's probably seven or eight different names they called me written on those chocks. Nice. That's funny. Well, well what else we, we got? Wanna, I don't know. We uh we kind of talked about maybe hitting the high spots with the uh, events and whatnot, and uh, it won't be uh, much lead up time. But we got uh, Wayne Wagner's event out there in Odessa. That's, yeah, that's coming uh, this up this weekend. weekend. Yep. Yep, the thermometer buster. I actually think it starts the day that this will come out. Uh, uh, I think the flyer says the eighth and ninth, but uh, okay, uh, I'm sure there's people that are probably getting there on Thursday, right? But uh, if not, you it's got to be a thermometer to buster for real. It yeah. is. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, believe, I believe it's pronounced thermometer. I'm just saying. Thermometer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, wow. we've got that one. And then uh, the following weekend, we got the South Central Kansas uh, IMAC. Yeah. There in Cityville. Those are the only things that I have for July right now. I was, uh, well, are you guys going to go do your slip soaring that weekend, Casey? Uh, I believe we're going the 23rd. Ah, okay. Uh, I may actually get to be able to go to both then. I was informed by Brian Boffman that I'm expected to be in Kansas. So mm. I'm getting I'm getting my arm twisted to go to Kansas. So, so when you when you going? Well, I gotta talk to my <laughs> boss about that. Uh every year my boss does a ride along with us, like uh-huh. one week of the year. Uh-huh. It's next week. Oh, so, nice. Okay. So I don't know if I'm going to actually be able to get off on Friday. Um, so if I end up getting to go to Kansas, depending on, like, I wanted to take off on Friday and leave Friday morning. Mm-hmm. That way I could practice at the field. Um, it may turn into driving late Friday night. It may turn into me not going, period. And we'll see. But you stay and I through, can talk about that. Stay through Sunday and come back? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk before okay. that. Cause I might be able to swing that. That would be great because I currently have an intermittently working air conditioner. <laughs> so it's going to be my real... truck. I see how it is. Uh, yeah. not... <laughs> I would go anyway, but it would be a lot nicer to go in. Well, in from, comfort from what I understand, Mark's not doing anything either. Cause his whole family is out of town. So, you know, maybe we can, Calling him, calling him into going too. That sounds like next an week, even better idea. Next weekend, that'd be 16th. the sixteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth. I bet they're weekend. back by then. No, nope. Back not, to the end of the month. I, but I'm taking a T38 across the country with a with a trainee that weekend as well. So is there oh. is some place that has? Do they have over an eight thousand foot runway where they're going? They do. I don't think I so. Might be able to, so you can cram a plane in one of them luggage pods man we can find you a place to stop you never ejected heavy mark (laughs) no there's a first for everything mark (laughs) we're counting on you buddy uh, don't let us down how close is it to mcconnell or uh wichita it's in cedarvale i don't know it's up quite a ways i think Mm. if i'm not mistaken it's just over the state line uh, put it this way, it's closer to go to that for Casey than for Casey to go slope soaring. Mm. So, no, oh, yeah. yeah, it is just over the border. Uh, gotcha. North I think of it's the like, Tulsa area. Yeah, I think it's like near like Arc City, maybe. Yeah, uh, so the first time I've heard. It's west of Coffeeville. And between Coffeeville and Arkansas, Arkansas City. City. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, it's just over the state line. Gotcha. First time I've no. heard anyone ask about flying into an RC event and wanted more than an 8,000 runway. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't know that they'd yeah. have fuel there either, Mark. <laughs> just normal jet, eh? Come on. Um, <laughs> So yeah, this weekend I'm actually taking a trainee to Louisville, Kentucky. We're gonna go to a bourbon distillery tour on Saturday. Oh, you <laughs> suck! 
See, this is where it really gets, we get jealous of the perks of the job. Oh. He's like, yeah, we went over here just to go eat some seafood, you know, whatever. I was going to say, don't you, have a, don't you have one of them jets with the three-seater? Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, uh, about two months ago, we went to Madison, Wisconsin. It was the end of May. Uh, we went to a bar in Madison, and they found out that we were in the Air Force, and they're like, you're drinking free for the whole time you're here. Nice. Oh, so that was cool. Somebody had really... some cheese curds, did you? <laughs> we we did get some cheese curds. And they were amazing. Oh, I've heard so, legit cheese curd cheese curds from Wisconsin are addictive. Oh yeah, so good. Yeah, they so would good. have a heck of a bar bill if I was there. <clears throat> I'd be finding the expensive whiskey. Yeah, they and, would not be and... allowing that for the second day. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> So that reminds me of uh, when I was in college in Louisiana, um, this restaurant across the street from the university uh, did all you can eat crawfish and all you can drink beer for $35. And they quit doing it the week after me and my friends went there. <laughs> They're like, nope, nope, not anymore. Well, they had a, what's the uh, golden tea, the, uh, the electronic golf game, you know? Okay. And they had that and they had like pool tables and stuff. And we, we just hung out all afternoon. We were there for like five hours. And so, yeah, we drank, I don't know how many beers and we ate probably 10, 12 pounds of crawfish each. And oh, yeah, wow. they, they didn't do that anymore after that. Yeah. It was about six of us that went up there too. And uh, man, that was a good time. Cadillac <laughs> Jacks was the name of the place. That's funny. Well, Mark, now, it's you, now it's you go, Steve's. How do you feel about that? Uh, it's probably some <laughs> fucking smoke shop or something now. It's like yeah. a big thing down there. It's either daiquiri shops or smoke shops everywhere. So, well, Mark, where are y'all headed the weekend of the 16th? We don't know yet. I might convince them to try to go to like Destin, Florida. Okay. Or just head north and get out of the heat. Right. Well, at this point, you're going to have to go to Canada. I was going to so. say, like, you know, Canada. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, funny. yeah, I don't know where we're going yet. That's more, I don't necessarily tell its trainees where they have to go. I kind of let them pick where they want to get their training and where they want to hang out for the weekend. So. Okay. Well, if something changes, sounds like we might be going to Kansas. So, there you go. You know, I, if I don't go, I'd probably be on board. Awesome. Hey, you're headed north. I could probably hit your ride, right? Uh, I'm sorry. No. The big, the biggest thing we got to figure <laughs> out is where we're all going to stay. Yeah, I was going to say we got to find a spot to stay. But uh, yeah, Casey, you, you can hit your ride. In, in true hope, yeah, in true hobo fashion, I've never had to worry about that. We'll just get there. We'll figure it out. Yeah, I got an air mattress. It'll be all right. Yeah. That's gonna look a little funny with the uh, three of us in your air your trailer. I've 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 uh I've slept in the back seat of my truck more than once. So, oh yeah, It'd you locked right. us out. Uh huh. Uh-huh. That was intentional too. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. I knew how that was gonna go. It only took about twenty minutes before Casey's over there going, "Oh man, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah." That was a that was a wise decision. You're 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 wise yeah. beyond your years. <laughs> you're like, I was just gonna roll your windows up. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I really was. Uh huh. 
Uh-huh. It's gonna good. rain. Good, uh-huh. yeah, good Samaritan. Good Samaritan for you. <laughs> well, well, I think let's call it that on uh, events because yeah, we, we kind of drug that out last week. But uh, we want to cover some sponsors real quick, or you guys yeah. just want to call it good. I'll add these other uh, events into the show notes and, and I can add the sponsors too. It looks like we're probably going to end up running out of time right here. So um, I will throw our sponsors in the show notes as well. And there'll be That's links it. to them and everything. Uh, and uh, take advantage of any discount codes that are in there and uh, use our affiliate links. And anything else y'all want to talk about? I would, like, I would like to add the uh, text message that I got from Richard Spiegel. <laughs> absolutely he says we're having a rainbow yeah rainbow austin slope fun fly heard your voice on the scrap pile and i could not stop thinking about you after hours in austin <laughs> there's lots of gay clubs and cheap hotels <laughs> let me know <laughs> oh, and spiegel wins the internet <laughs> Uh, Westbrook sent me a screenshot of it, and I was like, "Dude, we were dude, we were talking about it right then." And I was like, "We're giving him shit right now for it." <laughs> dude, I'm sitting here. I get this, and I'm wondering. I'm like, "Is this for real?" I don't know how to. I don't know how to answer this. Hopefully, this is not real. This can't be real. <laughs> I, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to bust nobody out, man. I mean, I'm. You know, if yeah. you're that's your thing, that's cool. I ain't. You know, I ain't against it. <laughs> But but it ain't for me, you know? So now I feel a little bit better that it's a joke. I was scared for a minute, man. Oh, that was funny. I was, I, I, I was looking at Spiegel in a different light, and I didn't like it. You should uh, <laughs> choose your response wisely. Oh. And let us all know how that goes. I'm not. Well, keep, keep in mind, at Hilly's over Apache Pass, this is the guy that was running around the field naked in the middle of the night. So just I know. Be, be, that's, be careful. That's why some of this made me question some of this stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> I said, sounds like an awful idea. What time? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, yeah, He'll like that. But anyway, all right, guys. Well, we got anything else we want to go through? Anybody? That's it. Yeah. Yeah, Like, subscribe, hit the notifications. (laughs) I'm just kidding. That's you. (laughs) Read us a review. It helps more than you know. That's it. Yeah. Mark, thank you very, very much for being on, man. That was Absolutely. a good time. Thank you for I your did. service, sir. Yeah. My pleasure. Yeah. Appreciate it, Mark. So, All right, Mark. guys. Thanks, guys. See well, ya. on that note, yep, we will call it a night and we will uh, talk at you next time. Have a good one. Yeah. Hey, yeah.